I'm just finding it. I'm looking for it. I'm searching. I'm feeling things out. I'm moving with the flow of the podcast. You know, the podcast is really a force that surrounds us, that binds us, and penetrates. I messed up the line so bad. Hi, everybody. But who is the dreamer that dreams? <laughs> I forgot to tell you about Paul Atreides. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word 8 Stairwells. I'm Autumn. I'm joined, as always, by Nia. You can call me Muad'Dib. <laughs> I'll call you Neve, actually. <laughs> Muad'Dib. <laughs> the movie rules. The movie's so good. You want to do a podcast about that movie again? <laughs> we don't finish our David Lynch project, but we watch Dune, like, three times in a row. <laughs> Um, if you are new here, welcome to episode 101 of our podcast. Um, you should go back one episode because I feel like episode 100 was a fucking banger. Yeah. However, we forgot something very important in that episode, which is perhaps the most stairwells thing we could do is forgetting the gimmick. Yeah, is we come back to ornate stairwells and we forget to rate any stairwells. Yeah. So let's start the episode here. Nia, perfect blue. Give me, what are you feeling for a grade on the stairs in perfect blue? I feel like it's not to an S level, but like an A maybe? There's that whole running down the stairs. There's the running down the stairs and the chase scene. I can support an A. Yeah, and I feel like there's a couple other moments of stairs. There's the part where at the beginning where she's, like, walking up to her apartment while the, like, music, like, it's about to, like, slam out as she, like, opens the door or whatever. I realize that I'm like, if you're new here, go back one episode. Now I'll be diving into a gimmick that we do without explaining it. <laughs> if you're new here, um, Ornate Stairwell is a movie podcast where we, you know... We sit down and watch a movie every week, two weeks, sometimes three weeks. Um, and we talk about it. We talk about all the other movies we watched between episodes. And we rate the stairwells uh, in them, you know, uh, which is really the most important part. And also the part that we completely <laughs> forgot to do in our it's 100th episode it's special. the most crucial part of, like, the idea of the podcast and also the least important part. <laughs> yes. Yes, so true. <laughs> because sometimes I tell people the premise of this podcast and I mention, I don't just say it's a movie podcast where we talk about movies, or maybe I do, and then they go, so why is it called Ornate Stairwells? And then I explain the bit. Yeah. And then people get this idea in their head that the podcast is about us watching movies and talking at length about the stairs in those movies. And we technically do that sometimes. We do sometimes have a 20-minute segment devoted to stairs. But not every movie warrants it. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it is some s rank stairs, and we really want to talk about how great the stairs were. But, like... The smooth talk. Some of the best stairs in cinema. Yeah. That deserves a lengthy segment on the stairs alone. Yeah. Perfect blue. There's some stairs in the, in the chase scene. They're pretty the well end. animated. It's pretty cool. Yeah. You know? Maybe A-. minus. Yeah, we could probably do an A minus. Yeah, let's do an A minus. Wonder what I did because I remember at one point I watched Perfect Blue. Um, I'm not gonna do the thing where I try to manually search for it. 
which I did once before, and you're like, why are you doing this? Um, because it's an absurd thing to do. A minus! <laughs> I'm always happy we, when we land on the same. We don't do uh, episode titles like that, but I am abused by the idea of <laughs> episode 101, and then the title of the episode is a sound clip of the two of us cheering. A minus! <laughs> Uh, that's something I did like when we did Hokuniki is that I did episode titles. Mm-hmm. Um, but so this week for the podcast we're doing the Grudge. Now, if you're familiar with us, you might be thinking, "Oh, the beloved Japanese cinema, you know, V cinema schlocky classic Juon, perhaps the Curse, perhaps the more you know done up." Japanese remake, uh, Juon the Grudge? No. We mean The Grudge, the 2004 film produced by Sam Raimi and starring Sarah Michelle Gellar, directed by the original director, uh, Shimizu, yeah, Shimizu Takashi. Um, no, I didn't, I just didn't know, I said Shimizu, and then I doubted myself, because I couldn't, listen, um, in a in a segment that you'll hear at the end of this podcast, because the bits are layered, um, <laughs> we were brought cocktails, and the cocktail isn't hitting me that hard, but it's hitting me just hard enough that I don't know how to pronounce Japanese anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm shaky on at the best of times. One of the, <laughs> you know how as you listen through all of Great Gundam Project, you hear them become communists in real time. Yeah. If you listen through all of Ornate Stairwells, you listen to me gradually fail upward into sort of kind of knowing how to pronounce Japanese. In stuff. fairness, if you listen to GGP, you also hear this process with Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> um, but before we get to The Grudge 2004, we have a couple other movies to talk about that we watched uh, in our two weeks between episodes. It was two weeks, right? Yeah. Give or take. Yeah. Um, this is not necessarily in chronological order because of the second movie on our list. You watched uh, immediately after we finished The Grudge, and I fell asleep during it. But before we get to there, the first movie on our list... We did in chronology of when the movie was released. Yeah, because that kind of made sense, and you'll understand why in a moment. The first movie on our list is The Glass Key. This is a... I should mention this because this is the second movie of this title because they're both adapting the same Dashiell Hammett book. This is the 1942 Stuart Heisler uh, movie. This is on the Criterion in their November Noir collection right now, um, if you're listening to this when it comes out. Um, I assume it'll still be up at least through December. You know, you never know with those Criterion things, like what's coming mm-hmm. and what's going and what's staying. Um, but The Glass Key is a hoot and a half. And... You love your noir. I love my noir. And there's one thing I love almost as much as noir movies. Do you know what that is? Um, and there a lot of things. Explaining the plots of noir movies to you in far too much detail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember remember now that you're going to do this bit. (laughs) So, Alan Ladd. Who's the only actor's name I can remember, so don't worry about that part. Alvin Ladd is playing a guy named Ed. Sounds like a real lad. He's a real lad. He's sort of the tough enforcer, but also he's smart. He's smart as a whip. 
And he's the right-hand man of Paul, who used to be... (laughs) What? Paul Atreides. Stop it! (laughs) He's Paul Muad'Dib. Um, Alan Ladd is kind of the, like, smart, but also strong, um, like, and fiercely loyal right-hand man to Paul... Paul used to be like a criminal on the streets. They they talk about, oh, back in our days in the Eighth Ward or whatever, as if that means yeah. anything to me. Um, uh, and, but Paul, he's trying to turn legit. He's running for governor. Um, he might have even what? been like a city councilman before this. What city is this set in? Is there... Somewhere on the East Coast that's not New York. Okay. Delaware, perhaps? Pennsylvania beats me. Yep. <laughs> What's up? Can you check the power down there? Because it looks like it's not plugged in. Yeah. Um. It's yeah. not plugged in. It's like not even remotely plugged in. That's probably the plug's not plugged in. Anyway, tell me more about not Pens- Pennsylvania, not New York. Yeah. So Paul is running for office. Ed is his enforcer. They've got um, some guy with a mustache <laughs> is one of their political opponents. Now, when you say with a mustache, is this a, a manly mustache or is this a, um, he's a little fruity with it? He's a little fruity with it mustache. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, this plot summary is going to get even more out of hand if I don't pull up names of characters real quick. So I'm just going to pull that up. You don't want to just call him Fruity Mustache Man? Um, I could, I certainly could, but he is Nick Varna. Varna is what they call him all through the movie. Ooh, yeah. So Varna. You know what's great about, (laughs) this is, I'm I'm saying great in a certain voice. You know what's great about movies from the 40s? Uh Uh-huh. Is uh, people will have a last name where you're like, oh, that's a gay last name. <laughs> <laughs> Listener, I just want you to note that I've had half this cocktail and Nia has had the whole cocktail. Yeah, but I'm not a lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Varna is one of his political opponents, and Varna, one, he owes the newspaper, he owns the big newspaper in town, The Observer. Yeah. And two, uh, well, he doesn't own it. He's got the newspaper owner in his pocket, you know. Because, two, he's a little more connected to the crime side still. The side that Paul and Ed are trying to turn away from, he's in it. He's a dirty politician. He's going to, you know, let crime run the state if the he becomes dirty, governor. dirty, fruity politician. <laughs> <laughs> With a gay last name like Varna. Um, And then the other guy... Um, who's sort of the most popular of all three of them, but he doesn't have quite enough support. He's Ralph Henry. Um, and this is where things get super... This is where everything becomes a web. Because Henry is trying to get support from either Paul or Varna. You know, because if he can, if he can sort of consolidate that a little bit, he'll win. Because he's the most popular, but he doesn't have enough sway. Henry, Ralph Henry's son is a gambler who's in tons of debt to Varna. Meanwhile, Janet Henry is engaged to Paul. So Ralph is like, 
well, I'll I'll get Paul's support by marrying off my daughter to him. Um, and it'll be it'll be great. And then one night his son comes home from gambling and he's got all this debt. And um <clears throat> like in a fit of rage, he kills his own son. And it just so happens, it just so happens that Paul is there when he kills his son. And so he's like, listen, if you cover up for me killing my son, I'm going to, um, you know, I'll make you vice governor or whatever, you know. And th now the important thing here is that I have left Ed out of this whole conversation because Ed is the main character and Ed is fucking hilarious because the moment he meets Janet, he's like, listen, I know you're engaged to marry my my boss, but what if we fuck right now? And she's like, I am down to fucking clown. I hate your boss. Um, so he fucks her. <laughs> um, then he's like, he's like trying to maneuver things because... Like, Varna is going to end up pinning the murder on Paul. And so he's got to, like, find a way to get Paul out of this. And so he... Does he call the bookhouse boys? He does not call the bookhouse boys. He becomes a one-man bookhouse boy. Uh, because what he does is he makes this big show in front of the whole town that him and Paul are breaking up. And it's extremely fucking fruity. It is the gayest shit in the world when he's like... You were never anything to me, you two-time and no good, blah, blah, blah. So they, they break up in front of everybody. And then Ed, he, like, goes to Varna, and he's like, I'll give you all the dirt on Paul if you can make me the right offer. And Varna offers him a bunch of money. He's like, it's no good. I'm leaving. And Varna captures him, and he beats the shit out of him because it's a noir movie, and he just keeps beating on him and beating on him. But eventually... Uh, like Ed wakes up and he sets Varna's house on fire and he gets away and he goes back to, to Paul. He's like, Paul, I wasn't actually betraying you. I wanted everybody to think I betrayed you so that I could get this information out of Varna because while he was beating me, he told me who he's going to, who his witness is that's going to be able to blame the murder on you. And so, um, he, he gets this information about the witness and him and Paul are going to protect the witness, but then somebody kills the witness. Um, and while Ed is recovering from getting the shit kicked out of him for like a week, Janet comes to visit him in the hospital and she's like, do you want to fuck in this hospital right now? And Ed is like, I can't. And she's like, why? And his nurse comes in and his nurse is basically tearing her clothes off. She's like, Ed, I'm back for your medicine. And she's like, not like, she's like ripping her top off. She's like sliding her panties down. And, and, uh, Janet's like, oh, I see how it is. You player. And she walks away and then he fucks the nurse. <laughs> So he fucks the nurse, uh, he gets back on his feet, and um, <clears throat> he goes back to Varna one more time, and he's like, Varna, I know you killed the witness, and I know you've got the newspaper editor in your pocket. And Varna and the newspaper editor and the editor's wife are all having uh, dinner at, um, like, Varna's chateau out in the, out in the woods, 
away from town. And <clears throat> he's like, newspaper editor, you know you're going to ruin your credibility if you run this phony story. You can't do this just because you have debt to Varna. Um, and he's like, I gotta, I have all this debt to Varna. And his wife's like, honey, you're not rich. And, and Ed's like, hell no, he's not rich. And she's like, damn, Ed, you're suddenly so hot now that you've told me my husband's not rich anymore. Do you want to fuck right here? And he's like, yes, I do. And he fucks her with the newspaper guy watching. And the newspaper guy goes upstairs and immediately kills himself. <laughs> so now it's a whole fucking mess and I forget he gets some evidence out of this oh the guy wrote the guy wrote a will but Ed gets upstairs first and he grabs the will and he sets it on fire and I don't remember why he did that but he gets some other piece of evidence out of this. <laughs> He gets some other piece of evidence, and he's like, now I know who really did it. And he goes to Paul, and he's like, Paul, it was your fiance, Janet, that girl I fucked a while back. She killed her own brother. And and Paul is like, she can't have killed him. I killed him. And he's like, don't give me that shit, Paul. I know you were just covering up for for her. Don't Don't lie to me. I've got the police. They're going on her. They're going over to her house right now, and he gets the police, and they go over there, and she's standing on the stairs, and she's like, what do you mean, Ed? I couldn't have possibly killed my brother. And it's at this moment that the that Ralph, the, the father, reveals that he was the one that killed the, fa- that killed the son, and Ed is like, I knew, Janet, I always loved you. I knew you didn't kill your brother, but the only way I could get your father to confess was to have him think that I was having you arrested, and he couldn't bear the sight of having his daughter go to jail, and so I knew he would confess on the spot. And anyway, now he has arranged... That's the that's the ending of a Columbo episode, yes. by the way. This is the ending of a Columbo episode, <laughs> except that he has arranged everything so that now Paul is the one who's going to win the election because one of his opponents is... is both of his opponents are in prison <laughs> because of Ed's maneuvering in the background. Um, and uh, then Janet comes to his hotel room and she's like, I never loved Paul. I always loved you. And like Paul is like low key, like watching this whole conversation from the sidelines. And Paul is like, well, I guess I kind of owe you for making me governor. So you crazy kids get out of here and get hitched. And then the movie ends. <laughs> So you lost me when Paul and Ed were kind of fruity with it, but then Ed uh, cucked, a, was it a postman? A so, newspaper editor. A newspaper editor so hard that he died, <laughs> that the editor died. Yes, the craziest thing I've ever seen happen in a movie. Also, also for the record, because this movie's getting an easy S in the stairwells category. Easy S, because there are a lot of many ornate stairs, but... One, as I mentioned, Janet is, like, watching from the stairs as, like, she's going to get arrested, and then her father is standing at the bottom of the stairs. He's like, no, you can't arrest her, blah, blah, blah. 
I'm confessing. The other thing is, the newspaper guy is, in fact, watching on the stairs as he gets cucked. <laughs> he is standing on the stairs watching. He gets cucked, and he's like, fine, I'm going upstairs and ending it all. And then he immediately kills shouldn't he so hard about this, but it's really funny that this guy gets cocked so hard he dies. <laughs> I've been wanting to tell you about this for two weeks. <laughs> this movie is a fucking delight. Listeners, I'm wildly underselling this movie because half of half of the <laughs> <laughs> the half of the joy is the insane plot of this movie, and half of the joy is the absolutely insane faces that Alan Ladd makes as he's acting in this movie. I'm not sure he knows how humans emote, but uh, whatever he's doing is really working for me. Um, five star movie. Loved this shit. Absolute nonsense. <laughs> That's been undersold to you. <laughs> Is it my turn? Oh, I forgot six other plot twists. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this is an 85-minute movie, by the way. <laughs> this movie fucking goes from, like, yeah. minute one. <laughs> I do love it, though, how in, like, 30s and 40s movies, people just have gay last names. That's just a thing yeah. that exists back then. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I watched Crest Labyrinth. Yeah. It's it's still fucking good. It's it's wild that that is like 40 minutes or whatever. The 20 minutes of the 40 minute movie that I watched were really fucking good. Yeah. But also I was so sweepy. Um It's also one of those where like I know the, some people who are critical of it and they're like, "Oh, a lot of it is like a rehashing of pastoral." Um but I feel like there's just such a different like <clears throat> I think ultimately I I like Pastoral more as a movie because there's this weird like mythic dealing in like cultural like traditional cultural things within Japan and like trying to untangle uh, untangle like becoming an adult in relationship to your parents and everything. Mm -hmm. But then there's that like layer of like the director coming into it and everything. Yeah. <clears throat> and and um Grass Labyrinth feels like it's, like, constantly operating in the level of, like, poem or, like, the fairy tales and, like, those sorts of things that Terry Yamashuji also wrote. Yeah. Where, like, there, there's a way that he returns to this image of, like, an adult woman and then, like, a, a boy who's, like, just becoming a man and, like, this sort of weird like rape of that boy that happens in a lot of his movies where i'm like <clears throat> this this man seems to be unpacking something mm -hmm. <clears throat> i don't know i haven't like read anything about like specific things that he's talked about in his childhood like that mm -hmm. but it just comes up often enough in his movies and especially in his like movies that seem to be talking about childhood drama um that i think it it feels like it goes beyond just like a metaphor that he uses for like the coming into sexuality that happens. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but uh, it's also that sort of thing where like, just when you know that Teriyama Shuji is like wildly influential, there's a certain part where like I watch it and I'm like weird harem stuff. Like even like fully Cooley is kind of a, a harem anime. Mm -hmm. 
is like kind of just doing this, but not with any of the artistry. <laughs> um, there's just a way that it, it sometimes feels like there's like even tropes that sometimes you'll see show up in other things, especially because I think Terry Meshuji was dealing so much with like <clears throat> taking cultural images that exist in Japan and talking about them and like really pulling them out to talk about like the contradic- contradictions that exist within societies um, and not like as just like an inherent uh, a thing that a contradiction is always like something that a person or a society or whatever is like wrestling with. Constantly. Yeah. Seeing in the spreadsheet that this came out in 79, like there's a lot of like <clears throat> playing with contemporary or recent past Japanese cinema. Um, yeah. There's like there's like playing with stuff from quite on in what I saw. There's like playing with yeah. stuff from um what's it called? Umegetsu? Like yeah. like it's just kind of like taking these toys out of the toy box and sort of smashing them together in this sort of metaphorical space a little bit. Yeah, and I mean it's also just like pulling from other, you know, the whole like lullaby of the mother being the whole the whole crux of this film is like trying to find the lullaby that the mom used to sing. Right. <clears throat> and having bits and pieces of it, but not being able to find anyone who actually knows, like, the version mm-hmm. <clears throat> that he's trying to remember. <clears throat> um, so, and I mean, you get to the, like, the second half, and there's just some wild shit going on with, like, pregnancy images that just do not happen in, like you know, pastoral and stuff. Right. Um, there's like this stone. And I think this is another thing that's like based on like myth or like full kill or whatever is all, but there's like this stone that will like get people pregnant as part of it and everything. Um, looking at the camera and Hunter Hunter. And then there's a part where, um, the stone, like a a guy is wearing the stone as like a, a helmet and is like running around. It, the whole end just becomes this weird, like, frantic, uh, it, it's, like, some of the most just, like, intense Teriyama Shuji film is happening at you mm-hmm. of, like, any Teriyama film that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, where just, like, sh- there's just so much shit happening on the screen in terms of just, like, all the images he's playing with and, like, everything, like, moving around and stuff. Um, it's, like, the... Of all the ones that I've seen from him, it's, like, the one that feels the most overwhelming, and that's part of why, like, I get to the end of the 40 minutes, and I'm like, that was 90, right? That was, like, 90? <laughs> that was a 90-minute movie that I just sat through. Yeah. Um. So, it's, like, in a, in a different way, but it's kind of like, you watch Tetsuo, and you're like, that movie was longer than it was. Because, yeah. just, like, there's just this, like, frenetic energy to it that just makes it feel like there. it must have been longer. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's just like everything feels like crushed down into the film, um, into like the runtime. But it's like always trying to break out of it or something. Um, I, real quick, I forget. Did you do throw away your books during the month I was off from the podcast? Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, throw away your books is uh, a classic. I think there's some really interesting stuff in it. I also think it's the weakest of his movies that I've seen in terms of just like an actual movie to sit down and watch. There's some really, really transcendent moments f- for me in it, but it also feels the most like, 
and I I also know some from the, some of the production stuff where like he was taking bits and pieces from like plays and stuff that he did and doing it. And so there's this part, there's this way that it feels the most like you're entering into this vignette of like a different sort of play that's about something, and then you're entering into another vignette, and they're all kind of interrelated because like characters are moving throughout them. Um, but and it's also just kind of this like sprawling uh look at like the <clears throat> family structures that exist like throw away your books i think a lot of it is about like traditional family structures but now like the changes in society has caused a lot of that the meaning to bottom out from that and so what it means to be like a father or a son there's not like the same like utilitarian purpose that once existed for those things for people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so now it's like this weird thing where you are like this is a thing that you're supposed to care about and yet it's actually like kind of meaningless or kind of weird right um and there's like so much more friction with it um because just like family units don't have to exist in the way that they used to yeah I think a lot of it is about that and like the the weird and also a, a film happening around the time that like the youth movements were sort of bottoming out mm. and it's really about that feeling of like the bottoming out and like that kind of a bit about like why everything sort of fell through right with this like right. revolutionary potential that was existing um but it also feels like the one that has the least like answers about like it's about that feeling and not about this the most it's about what's comes next is just this kind of like, well, you need to like throw away the books and rally in the streets. Like you need to like go to doing the action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, whereas like I feel like pastoral and grass labyrinth, there's more of this like both internal looking from like Shuji himself. Like they feel a little bit more personal, um, but also this like. I guess dealing with the problems of society in like a more poetic or like mythic or folktale way. Right. And like, <clears throat> like pastorals being so much about like, how does like Shuji or, or, or Teriyama like trying to piece together. How does not just how does anybody, but how does he construct himself out of the pieces of like art and memory and fact like that like that is that interplays with like social stuff but it is so the interplay of the social stuff is focused inward you know Um, and I think it isn't until it's in the last moment that you're able to take all that stuff and look outward. Yeah. I think that's what that last moment kind of does for you. But I also don't, like, I don't think I realized that until we were having this conversation, you know, six months after I first saw Pastoral, and I'm sort of able to talk through it and think on it and, yeah. you know, all that. Um, all of his movies just, I mean, also having read his, like, short story stuff, too. It's just like, oh my god, Ikuni fucking loves Teriyama Shuji stuff. <laughs> if you are a fan of Utena and you've not watched any Teriyama Shuji or read any of his like writing, fucking do it. Because it's honestly one of the most informing things 
into. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I talked about it a little bit when we did Utena, but not as much. You hadn't you hadn't revisited his work as much, yeah, or so as like, intensely as you have, because yeah. you definitely. I feel like in 2022 and 2021, you were like sort of rewatching his stuff, but I feel like this year you sort of really like not just like. Like, there's a little bit of you fixated, because that's the thing that you do. But I also think that you've been just, like, very deeply engaged with his work. Yeah, I mean, part of it, too, is that, like, I had read some of the stuff that he had done. Just enough that when he got quoted in Psychopaths, I was like, shit, there's legs here. And so I, like, also had more of a push to, like, do more research into it. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, cause a lot of the, the stuff that I had was sort of both from just seeing his films and then like some general writing about him. And I hadn't like done a bunch of his own writing. And some of it is that like the short stories were like not, were published like relatively recently. Like I think yeah. when I watched Pastoral, those were not out and published oh, okay. in English. Okay. Um, and I feel like there's been a little bit more like scholarship that's easier to access now mm. as well. So. Um, yeah, I think, uh, for Yule, Emily told her mom, the main book that I want is Unspeakable Acts, which is a book about Terry Mushuji stuff. Cool. Um, yeah. How are the stairs in Grass Labyrinth? Um, they're like, they're like A. Okay. Um, there's the ball that bounces down them. It's like the big significant moment. Sure. Um, but like, so the, the, uh, second gig, the standalone complex second gig episode that's named after Grass Labyrinth, uh, is a kind of a shitty episode. There's things about it. I've talked about this so many times, but like, there's things about it that I like. And if it was like a Kino's journey episode that was like the same base premise, I'd be like, this is fucking great. You go into like a shop where like this this woman deals in like objects that are like tied to people's memories and then the memories are still like to some degree stored in them and so you can like re-experience the memories through like interacting with these objects that were all meaningful right. to other people. Alright, alright, um, alright. And it's like this kind of weird mythic space and one of the things that it like directly references from this, the the most the biggest like direct reference is uh the major finds it by seeing a ball bounce down stairs and okay. follows up where it went from and like finds the shop. Okay. Um, but then like Bateau goes that way and the shop isn't there or whatever. But anyway, um, the premise is great, but it's, it's function within second gig is like one. It's just like, this is, this isn't the, the major doesn't care about a shop of memories. That's not who the major is. But then also the shop of memories has her old child body and also the old child body of like, you know, little child body of uh, the like main um, like foil to her throughout that series. Kuze, who's kind of a nothing character, even though he should be cool. Um, And the whole like back like memory backstory you get is about like how they are both in the same plane crash and like. <clears throat> she got the robot body so that she was able to walk again. And then she was like trying to convince this boy to like also get the body. Um, but then he didn't want to, because like he was holding these paper cranes for the girl that he thought died, but it was actually her. And then like 
he was worried that with the robot body, he wouldn't have the dexterity to fold a paper crane. Okay. But then, and so then she practiced for a really long time and was able to finally fold a paper crane. I love and now Persona the major, 4. And now the major is like, you know, <clears throat> super great at controlling her body or whatever. And so oh, it's this okay. whole like backstory and then it like gets tied into the way that she like basically becomes an ineffectual like, oh, I'm kind of, I have a crush on the other guy. Second so, like, gig sounds bad. Yeah. Do you know the part where uh, the main thing to make the virus work is that you have to be a virgin? The way that virgin is, yeah, yeah, is defined is uh, if you had sex before you had a cyber body. If you had sex with a a robot body, with a cyborg body, uh, that doesn't count. You're still a virgin. Stupid. And this is like a a thing that is like inherent enough within the body that a virus can act on it. Dumb. The f- the first Santa Complex is so good though. <laughs> so true. So true, <laughs> Queen. I've seen eight episodes of it. <laughs> Truly my theory for what happened with Second Gig is the people making it, uh they've talked about how the Glass R- Labyrinth episode that I've been talking about <clears throat> is the one where they finally figured out the major. Mm-hmm. I.e. to me, when they finally thought they figured out the major, i.e. arrived at a completely wrong conclusion about who she is. Because <laughs> um. she is not an, an athlete who wants to inspire people with her, her feats that she can do with her body. That's not what That's the, not what the major does. She's a police officer who... Uh, is controlled by the state because the state owns her body, but also she's totally fine with it because the body lets her do great things. I feel like... And she loves the power that she gets. If you want to understand the major, you should try watching the first, like, three and a half minutes of Standalone Complex. Because I feel like she opens that show by, like, Batmaning a dude, but, like... And shooting out his, like, kneecap, and him being, like... You cops are the problem, and her being like, well, if you don't like it, you should just fix it. Yeah, I feel like (laughs) everything about her character is really there in the introduction. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Solid State Society is still great, though. I I don't know if they know how much it's about the Major is just terminally liberal, like, cop brained, Mm. but it is about how the Matrix just terminally like liberal cop brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and this like liberal brain is just that infects like everybody in section nine. It's just like, well, what can you do? You just got to keep plugging along with the system. <laughs> we can't upset the system too much. That would be insane. Yeah. Okay. So we're about to talk about four Spider-Man movies in a row, according to the spreadsheet. (laughs) Um, We said, uh, you know, oh, we're finally done with the strike. Let's just really get into some superhero movies. Okay, okay, okay. We complain a lot on this podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. I need everybody to understand... That for me, I'm not speaking for you, I'm speaking for me. Part of the reason that I complain so much about the MCU is that I care so fucking much 
I don't love anything in media the way I love Marvel fucking comics. <laughs> and Disney has done so much to try to take that from me in the last 15 years. <laughs> They've worked so hard to ruin it. Really before Disney, because, you know... I mean, like, I was... Here's the other thing. I was into the MCU for, like, the first eight years of the MCU. Like, from Iron Man till about Spider-Man Homecoming. I was in it. I was watching all those movies. I liked all those movies. The reason that we complain about these movies so fucking much is because I care a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the you reason don't. is that it fucking ruined Hollywood. You you complain a lot because it ruined Hollywood. It ruined movies. Yes. You care about <laughs> movies, and I care about superheroes. I also care about movies. Um, but I'm, I just, I'm just looking at... Uh, I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy was the last like Marvel movie that I kind of enjoyed. <sighs> I'm looking at this, and I like like I tapped out after that. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, I like have watched a few of these, but I was just like, you know, that was what, 2014. Yeah, I haven't fucking cared about the MCU since 2014. Yeah, um, and even then, it was just like, oh, this is what you know. These are they, popular. Yeah, these are sort of the blockbusters right now. And then I was like, these are the block. This is it. This is all it is forever. The, you're not gonna have like some midsummer. Like it's not like the big blockbuster part of summer. It's just kind of in like. The really long dog days of summer part where you just got like some kind of sleazy, like mid budget movie about nope. like, uh, some cop who ends up fucking some like girl and having some crisis of faith or whatever. Right. And then at the end, the heterosexual family is probably w- restored or he just fully gets corrupted and like dies or something. Yeah. And is punished for it. Um, still. God, they don't fucking make erotic thrillers anymore. They don't. don't make erotic I thrillers anymore. I know. I know. So anyway, we're about to talk about four Spider-Man. Oh, MCU. I mean, it's gonna have all the genres. In- no, because you're fucking pansies about sex. <laughs> you're not gonna have directors tattling about their weird fucking fetishes by making a movie in the MCU. It's just not gonna happen. <laughs> You don't even get, like, weird feet guys MCU movie. I wish. You know? Dude, I wish. <laughs> I'm not even a feet guy. I just wish I there just, was... I just want an MCU movie where the director is tattling about how horny they are about feet. I want an MCU movie that's like, <laughs> this guy's really into armpits. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're about to talk about four Spider-Man movies in a row. Where's the MCU cuck plot? <laughs> Sister, I'm asking, where's the MCU? <laughs> anyway, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. We're going to talk about Spider-Man. I have been... The real thing is, I've been reading a lot of comics. Um, and when I haven't been reading comics, I've been sort of just in the headspace where, like, I wanted to revisit Spider-Man, directed by Sam Raimi. And then I just kind of, like... like you know, I don't know. I just kind of got in the headspace of watching Spider-Man movies, and there's a lot of these movies to watch, and so I have somehow watched four of them in the, like a week and a half. Only one of those is my doing. Only one of those. Um, we're going to go chronological through time here, even though this is not the order of how I watched these. 
at all. So first up on here, we have Sam Raimi's 2002 Spider-Man. It's a classic. I don't know how to talk about this movie because, like, asking me how I feel about Spider-Man 2002 is like asking me how I feel about Air. You know, I'm like, it. this is literally what movies are on some level to me. Like, this is just so, this is just like, this movie was everything to me for such a long time and just defined what I, like, it's this and Revenge of the Sith just kind of defined what I thought movies were for my childhood, you know? And so, yeah. like, I fucking love this movie. I still fucking love it. I I watched it again, and I think it's, you know, basically a perfect movie. But I don't know how I couldn't think it's a perfect movie, because I've always thought it's a perfect movie, you know? Yeah, my relationship's a little different to this, because this would have been, like, a high school movie for me, I think. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> End of middle school, start of high school, something. Yeah. It was around then when it came out. Yeah. I... I have stronger feelings. I think that Spider-Man, if I just remember, it's been a while since I've watched these movies, I think that the first Spider-Man is probably better. But Spider-Man 2 has such a place in my heart because Emily and I went on a, a date watching that movie. And it was kind of stupid, but now we just constantly quote, I've always been standing in your doorway, which I'm pretty sure is a Spider-Man 2 thing. I feel like I... Similarly, I feel like... I'm a big-time Spider-Man 3 defender. I'm like, Spider-Man 3 is the best one of these movies. Spider-Man 3 is a classic. Spider-Man 3 is underrated. And I don't think that's because Spider-Man 3 has warranted those. I think it's because Spider-Man 1 and 2, to me, are just so self-evidently great that Spider-Man 3 is the one that I have to come to the defense to. Because I do genuinely, it's not, I'm not being ironic about loving Spider-Man 3. <clears throat> the it's... other, the other memory that I have of Spider-Man, which is, I did enjoy Spider-Man, uh -huh. but high school, I'm like, check, this is like, I'm like a year or two, it was like middle school when I started like, kind of getting into, because by high school, my brother has left for undergrad, and so just me trying to think because a bunch of my childhood is like massive holes of memory in my childhood. Mm -hmm. But like it would have been middle school where we would have been like in that town going to that video rental place. My brother would have been in high school. So like renting stuff and we were watching it together regularly. Mm -hmm. So like middle school is when I started getting into indie films. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I was like, wa I had like watched Pulp Fiction and shit, right? You know? Right. Um, and so I distinctly remember the like when Spider-Man came out on DVD or whatever. Uh huh. Was around like Christmas, and one of my like older brothers, who's like significantly older, got me knew that I liked movies, and so got me Spider-Man uh, and Napoleon Dynamite, which I famously hate. God. On DVD. Awful movie. And I was like, I would like Reservoir Dogs on DVD, please. Thank you. <laughs> In my head. I didn't say it to him, but I was like. Hey, you know what's a good movie? Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. That's like the one Tarantino movie I kind of still like. Yeah. I guess Jackie Brown. Um, I mean, middle school also been would have been when uh, David Sly, who have mentioned some on the podcast, I would have been going to movies with him. Mm -hmm. Family friend. That started in middle school as well. 
Yeah. So this is just like the period where I was just like, I was consuming a bunch of movies. And so like, not that I didn't like Spider-Man, but it was just like, this is the movie that you got me. Like <laughs> that was just a fun blockbuster that I saw this year. Yeah. I'm it's into not clerks the one... now. <laughs> <laughs> I probably liked clerks more than Spider-Man back then. I don't know if that's still true. I don't know. On some level, no, I don't like Clerks more than Spider-Man. But on some level, I do like Clerks more than Spider-Man. <laughs> Clerks is great, dude. In a row? <laughs> they go to that fucking funeral, mm. and then it just our guts to them running away from the funeral. I love that movie. Um, yeah, I just... Like, to me, I just think of it as like, oh, that was a really good... That was like a fun blockbuster that year. Spider-Man movies, those are good. But like... They don't have the same place in my heart that yeah. they have for you. Yeah. I mean, some of it is I, was, I never really read that many of the, like, Cape comic stuff. That's the other thing is that, like, you know, I was reading Spider-Man before Spider-Man 2002 came out. I was watching all the cartoons before the movie came out. Like, you know, um, Spider-Man 2 was, like, I was playing all the video. I was especially playing the video games. <laughs> Uh, so, so Spider-Man, when it came out, was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm young enough that, like, I still think that, like, seeing something on the big screen is, like, better, quote-unquote, than, you know, oh, the silly animated and the comic stuff. Now I like the animation and the comic stuff better. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the Massive asterisk on liking animation better. I feel like the closest that I had to something like Spider-Man was one, there was just the period, and, like, I think, like, M and I were, like, similar age range for this. We're just, like, Batman was the fucking cool superhero that all the kids were into. Hey, you know who's There was, like, cool? those Batman movies and everything. Yeah. Batman rules. Batman's fucking so, cool. So, I never read Batman comics, but I I did like Batman and watch, like, the, the Batman cartoons and stuff at the time. You're, like, you're also of an age where the Batman cartoon was way better than the yeah. comics. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I was watching, like, Batman the Animated Series. I watched a little bit of Batman Beyond or whatever. Yeah. That's the other one that yeah. I Yeah! Um, we need to bring Gotham City Limits back so that Em and I can talk about <clears throat> Superman and Batman Beyond. Um, fucking television. And then the other one is that I kind of liked X Men. That's like the only I didn't read that many of the comics, but I that's like the only like you know just big long running thing where I read some comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm from like the library or something. Yeah, I was still more watching the movies, but there's uh, issues with those movies now. But yeah, Lord. Um. Yeah. Next on the list. Oh. Spider-Man, A-plus for stairs. I'm tempted to give it an S, but I don't feel like... Even are the stairwells in Spider-Man. Huh? There's uh. a... The, the Osborne home has the massive, ornate stairwell, and there's the bit Is toward... there, like, a stairwell scene on it, though? There's the bit toward the end where Harry comes home, and he's talking to Norman, and he's like... He's like, Peter stole my girlfriend, Dad! And... That's when Norman realizes that Peter is, or no, he realized that Peter is Spider-Man, and now he has the piece of, oh, I can get at Spider-Man by killing um, Mary Jane, because he loves her. Um, and so, um, there's like a, there's a big stairwell scene on the stairs. Yeah. Because um, they like, 
you know, Harry starts at the bottom and Norman's at the top and then they, you know, walk toward each other and they meet and they embrace and in their embrace, Willem Dafoe has got his scheming face on, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'll let you do an A plus for this. Yeah, I I want to say an S, but I just don't feel like I... You I heard don't... it here. The stairs in Spider-Man better than the stairs in Grass Labyrinth. <laughs> Next on the list, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, movie's pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's kind of overrated, but it, and I kind of hold that against the movie, but it's not really the movie's fault, you know? I think it's just a, I just think it's like the best, I, uh, I think it is the best superhero movie of the 2010s, and also I think it's a four-star movie, you know? Yeah. I, four and a half if I did half stars. Yeah. This is, I think it's a, I think it's. I think some of the the like cultural stuff around it is that we we've talked about how like during the the hiatus I feel like there's been a a culture shift around the MCU. Mm-hmm. You know, before we started doing Ikoku Nikki, it felt I felt like I was still on the defensive when I was talking to other people about, like, oh, the MCU, I feel like this is, like... The the Disney Plus stuff has kind of poisoned the well, and I yeah. feel like it poisoned the well on Star Wars in 2022, and now it's poisoned the well on Marvel in 2023. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like there's, like, this... there's There has been this shift, mm-hmm. right? But I feel like people were already somewhere inside themselves feeling a bit of the Marvel burnout. And that's also part of why Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse hit so big Yeah, is because you went and you watched a Spider-Man movie and it was all like, it was some of the most exciting superhero action stuff. Cause there's like the great animation yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, and then also like, you don't have to fucking watch five other movies to know what the fuck's happening in you this You don't one. have to watch five other movies. You just watch the movie. And, like, I think... Like, the know. whole Sony thing, in some deg- ways, like, freed the Spider-Man from having to have all the baggage of what it means to be a part of the MCU. Well, and I think, like, Spider-Man... Into the Spider-Verse... Um... You know, if I'm doing representation politics sort of stuff, I find Into into the Spider-Verse to be... I find it to be much more compelling, like, media about representation. Because on some level, it is about... You know, the movie opens and closes with, like, Miles affirming that he's Spider-Man. I think the last last line of Into the Spider-Verse is something about, if you didn't know that anybody can be Spider-Man. I hope you know that now. And it's sort of a nod toward, you know, all the folks in the audience who might, you know, you know, young women in the audience who they see Spider-Gwen, they're like, oh, I could be Spider- Spider-Man or Spider-Woman or Spider-Girl. You know, um, you know, black and brown kids in the audience who see Miles and see themselves. But I don't think, you know, I compare that movie to, you know, the MCU's version of doing this where, where, you know, the movie that jumps to mind for me is Shang-Chi, which feels tokenizing and feels like, 
And honestly, it's probably one of the better of the MCU movies for this. Yeah. Like, in terms of what we're talking about, and it still has a and, bit of and, and Shang-Chi feels like, like the whole movie exists in service of the the trying to get the representation of the the movie exists because it and it feels like this when you're watching the movie that it exists because Marvel feel Marvel feels like it has to fill a quota on representation whereas into the Spider-Verse feels like we have a story to tell and part of that story is this representation aspect to it you know yeah. Um, and this isn't really a way that we engage with movies on this um, podcast because I think it is all sort of a cynical capitalistic ploy. But I will say that as far as cynical capitalistic ploys go, Into the Spider-Verse works a lot better for me than, you know, I want to say Black Panther, but Black Panther has that one bit at the end that I really love. And then it also has the one bit at the end that I really hate. Um I genuinely, like, genuinely, truly, I think that Michael B. Jordan saying, you know, bury me at sea with all, uh, all the people on the ships who would rather jump than live in captivity. I think that is such a moving moment to see in a major blockbuster motion picture. And then it's immediately followed by T'Challa opening, uh, tech schools in the hood. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, anyway. Putting all that to the side, I think Into the Spider-Verse is overrated, and I also think it's a great movie because I just think that, like, you know, Marvel, you know, Stanley, one of one of his many catchphrases is calling Marvel the house of ideas, you know? Yeah. And Into the Spider-Verse feels like one of the only movies that sort of embodies that ethos embodies the sort of Stanley, Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby ethos of let's just throw a million ideas out there, you know? Um, and it's picking up toys from the toy box and smashing them all around and re and it's there, there's a way too that like, cause so much media that's like operating in the space is about like universes and multiverses and everything. Uh-huh. And it's the one, that I can think of, of like these really big things about multiverses where the multiverse is kind of just a fun thing. Yeah. It's just fun to have spider pig show up. Yes. It's not, it doesn't really have to be about like the, all the interconnectivity of the multiverses and you need to know what's happening on all these different, like, you know, versions to understand. Mm -hmm. It's just like, um, it's just fun. It's just fun, you know? Which, pre-staging a little bit of some of my comments about another one, but... Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, the the animation is just superb, and um, it's a little disappointing that the takeaway from that movie has been to do animation in the style of Into the Spider-Verse and not to, you know, be inventive with new styles of animation, but also... I'm really excited to see that TMNT movie because I also just like TMNT a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, once again, There's I a... just care about superheroes. <laughs> I mean, we'll, t- we'll talk about this more in a bit and I'll let you talk about your other movie first. But yeah. like, um, cause I, I especially felt it with across the, sp- we'll, I'll, we'll spoil it. We're also going to talk about across the spider verse. Yeah. But like, 
there's a way where it's like very specifically trying to do like there is a comic style that exists and we are trying to like we are trying to like replicate that and animate that and make that a part of what this is it's mm-hmm. like the visuals of comics we want to bring into this a little bit more mm-hmm. um and so when that just sort of like explodes into the animation style because it looks cool yeah there's like less of that like tie to the specific thing that it's trying to do i think it'll like it'll it'll when i see it in into the spider-verse it looks cool but it also feels purposeful for what they're trying to talk about and what they're trying right. to do right and i can I can already see how, like, if this just becomes the dominant style of animation, there's, like, sort of a bottoming out of the meaning of the style. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, But also, on some level, I do prefer this style to, like, the Pixar style that was the only style that existed in American animation for well over a decade. So, like... You know, if I get five years, ten years of movies that all kind of look like Into the Spider-Verse, there are worse things that could happen, you know? Yeah. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish was really good, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, Bef- Stairs and Into the Spider-Verse... I don't really remember any. I don't want to give it an F, but I don't remember any. It was like D? Let's get let's give it a question. Just just a, a straight question mark. Yeah, let's just give it some question marks. I feel like it might have an F here. You know? Yeah. Um I feel like Into the Spider-Verse might not feature um any stairs. But we never talk about Into the Spider-Verse. Um... This was my first time seeing it since it was in theaters. Mm. Um this was my first time revisiting it. I did see it in theaters, and then I feel like I watched it, like, once more later, but... Next movie, though, before we get there, I would... Uh, listen. Listeners, The Glass Key is a phenomenal movie. The Grudge is a phenomenal movie. Spider-Man Into and Across the Spider-Verse, great movies. Into and Across, and do you think the last one's going to be out of the Spider-Verse? I think they said it's going to be beyond venom let there be carnage is going to be the best movie that i talk about on this episode of stairwells venom let there be carnage is a fucking hoot this movie rocks carnage gets out of jail and he gets his evil carnage car and you know it's an evil car because it's red like carnage is (laughs) this movie fucking rules everybody is like venom's really hot it's kind of weird how the tentacle guy is really hot but he's really fuck everybody's fucking horny for venom constantly venom let there be carnage they're so married eddie and venom are so fucking married you are rolling your eyes at me and i don't care venom let there be carnage is so Fucking stupid. <laughs> it's fucking incredible. <laughs> I love this movie so fucking much. Um, it, it, coincidentally, I was listening to an episode of um, We're Rocket Ajax right before I watched this uh, movie where they mentioned something about, like, you know... 
symbiotes are vulnerable to fire and sonics is a really insane sentence to say that just makes sense to you if you've been reading comics long enough. Um, and this movie is really like honing in on being vulnerable to fire and sound is an insane thing to be. <laughs> and yet here we are. Such a stupid fucking movie. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm also vulnerable to fire and sound. <laughs> um, if you lit me on fire, that would be bad. And uh, loud sounds do make me anxious. <laughs> There's a bit. You're not going to watch this movie, are you? I mean, I might. We have fun watching that one Venom movie. There's a was bit. Was that just Venom? Yeah, that was Venom. Okay. There's a bit where a guy is setting carnage on fire, and he's like, you're vulnerable to light and sound. I guess this is just fire. <laughs> or whatever. He, I've messed up the line somehow, but hes it's really funny when he says it in the movie. Also, one of the, one of the things genuinely that I liked about this movie is that obviously everything is green screened all the time because it's a film that came out in 2021 <clears throat> one of the things that they do to make that work is that there is a pretty limited number of sets in the movie which i think helps a lot to like eddie's apartment is still a lot of cg but because eddie's apartment is in so many scenes I feel like they're able to put a, a level of love and care and craft into that one set, which I think is like a smart thing to do to like cut down on costs and stuff, you know, like if you limit the, you know, the MCU, there's like a billion locations in all these movies. If you bring down the number of locations, then you can spend more time making that small number of locations look better, you know? Um, so I thought that was nice. Also, this movie's fucking stupid. Yeah. Complimentary. Love this movie. Adore this fucking stupid-ass movie. I was high as shit when I watched it, so bet your ass I don't remember any stares from it. <laughs> it's a question mark? There's probably a fire escape. They get they get divorced, um, and Venom trashes Eddie's motorcycle. It's pretty fucking good. Yeah. Last but not least, and then I promise we'll go talk about a real movie after this. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I think this is a five-star movie. I like this a lot better than Into the Spider-Verse. Mm. This, this is also a movie more made for me, person who's pointing at the screen being like, that's the guy from Spider-Man Unlimited in the background. <laughs> yeah. This this is a much more, are you a Spider-Man weirdo? We made a movie for you. Um, So I watched like bits and pieces of this. Whenever it was that, uh, I guess this would have been like Veterans Day or whatever, <clears throat> where we went to Michigan so that um, RK could play with their cousins. Um. And they watched at least part of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I don't remember how much. I feel like we had to stop at some point to, like, go sleep and stuff. But <clears throat> so I saw bits and pieces of it then, but was doing other things. So I didn't, like, see all of it. 
Um, and I was like, oh, there's like some interesting stuff there, right? My kid's like really into Spider-Man right now. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I kind of want to see how like the bits that I saw, how that stuff's going to like get developed and like how it will resolve. Um, <laughs> and so then we started watching it and we got like a half hour in and then it was like time to, to like go to bed or whatever. But I was like, well, we'll like watch a little bit. I think it was like time to go and do something else. And then we had to like go to bed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it was like, okay, well, we'll finish it the next day, but then you are over. And so then my kid, like, went back to the start so that you could see the beginning, except which he missed, was, like, a little bit of the very beginning. I missed I missed the Netflix logos, which I was telling your kid, I want to watch those because they're going to do an animation bit. And your kid was like, it's boring. Yeah. Which was um, fine. But it, I I was very surprised and delighted that your kid did, did rewind to the start yeah. of the movie for me because I thought they were not going to. Then we didn't get to the end. There's, like... 35 minutes left or whatever. And then it was like two days later. We finished it today before mm-hmm. we recorded. Uh, so I had this thing where I was like, oh, I want to see how this, some of that stuff gets wrapped up. And then I was like, <laughs> uh, oh, here's the stuff. Like, I don't want to watch more of the movie and like, you know, see how it ends and stuff. Um, especially if we, before we talk about it on a podcast or whatever. Yeah. We watched a little more and it was like, oh, there's just like 35 minutes left. Like, I wonder how everything's going to resolve. Doesn't resolve cliffhanger they like barely barely wrap up the stuff with gwen from the the very beginning and it's like the 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 faint like it's like the beginning makes you think the whole thing is going to be about like gwen and this thing that she has and then it just becomes about miles for like a really long time Mm -hmm. and she like sort of comes back in and then she like has one talk with her dad and i feel like they don't actually fully get over the like I mean, he does say he's quitting or whatever, but, like, they don't fully get over the whole... Yeah, this movie does feel... You know, weird... Like, it feels like there's still stuff to do with her next movie. Yes. And none of the other line, like plot lines resolve in any way. It's weird because it feels like... You know, you know, I understand what they're going for, where it feels like, you know... It feels like you get to the end of a comic book issue yeah. and you get, you know, come back next month for, you know, yeah. the next part of this the story. Is the, this is the feeling that I had when I got to the end of it, which is both this, the movie's greatest strength and also its key weakness mm-hmm. is how much it's like a comic book. Yes. Yes. Um, the ways that it is like a comic book are what's so great about the movie. And also, movies just aren't good for serial stories like this in the yes. way that a comic book yes. or like TV show or whatever is. And and it probably would have been better if originally the next movie is supposed to come out March 2024. Now that's been delayed due to the, the SAG after strike. You know, if there's a nine month turnaround between movies, maybe that ends up working better for this movie, you know? Yeah. But... Even that's quite a bit of a turnaround. It's still just, it's still just, yeah. The the this movie feels incomplete. However, this you know, functionally, this first half of what is going to be a five hour movie in the end, um, I really, 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 really liked. Um, this is like my second favorite Spider Man movie. The other and this it came up a little bit in Into the Spider Verse, and this is a thing where I like more in Into the Spider-Verse, is that the multiverse stuff, as I said, is just fun. Yes. Here, there's... I feel like there's this part where you get the whole explanation of, like, 
the multiverse and there's like the canon events that you can't disrupt and stuff. And it feels like it's trying to get to something mm-hmm. about having to accept like the loss that happens in your life or having to, but like none of that resolves in a way where yeah, whatever emotional thing it, I could pull out of that. Yeah. And none of the work has been done to start pulling that out. And so it feels like there is this emotional core that exists with Gwen and with Miles. And then you hit this whole new thing that's setting up a new emotional core. Yeah, yeah. And it like, I wish that it just, I wish that more of the cliffhanger was setting up this new yes. emotional core. Yeah. I wish that was happening in the last 30 minutes instead of before the last 30 minutes. Right. Yeah, and, and like, that you were getting more of a resolution of some of the stuff happening with Gwen and with Miles, even if what happens with Miles is still some sort of like there's still more to do because we have to resolve it next time. But I I wanted like at least some of the emotion, the emotional stuff happening in here to resolve if there was going to be this cliffhanger, having like the emotional cliffhanger and also the like plot cliffhanger. All at once. And like, okay, can we... Really, it it just makes it feel like there is this, like, interesting emotional core that then just gets dropped for for a while to introduce this new thing where you're thinking, oh, maybe there's this way that it's going to relate to the emotional core that they're dealing with. I can see how this becomes interrelated, but it doesn't do anything to actually develop how that's going to build out, really. And so you just kind of... I don't know. It, it like... I wanted a little bit... I. It's fine to have the stuff that's going to be the cliffhanger, but I wanted some, yeah. a little more resolution. And I wanted that multiverse. I felt like the multiverse stuff dragged it down more than like was a thing that was, there was ways that it was fun mm. where you're seeing all of them and they're all running around in it. But the whole thing where they start explaining the multiverse, I felt like dragged it down for me a little. Yeah. Um, we need to, we need to spoil this to, to keep talking about it. So if you don't want across the spider verse spoilers, Fast forward, I don't know, let's say 15 minutes and, and, you know, either we'll be done or you'll need to back up or I don't know. So let's say 15 minutes or you can edit in a timestamp if you feel. I'm not editing this. I thought I was doing coffee and comic books and you're doing this and we're scooching everything a little bit this week. We did say that. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, what time is it? 1030? That's not too bad. Um... So, so yeah, spoilers from this point forward. Um, and I need to talk about some intense comic book nerd bullshit for a moment, if you'll allow me. Sure. So Miguel O'Hara is Moreland. That is like the thing that is Moreland, the living vampire who feeds on eating different Spider-Men from across the multiverse. That is a villain who exists in the comics. And there are two bits. There's one bit where you see... Miguel's face turn into a vampire face in silhouette, and then there's another bit later on uh, where if you're watching closely, you can see Miguel has fangs, and so he's clearly being set up to be Moreland. Um, That is one villain that needs to be resolved in the next movie. There's also the Spot, who has a different thing going on. They should have resolved the Spot thing and had him be, like, had Miguel become the Thing yes. the next movie is going to be about. And then they also involved alternate universe evil Miles. And it's like, now you have set your... And the, each of these three things has like a different thing going on with it. 
where emotionally, you know, I was very amused by the early part of the movie with the spot because knowing the spot from the comics, and I really don't know how to watch this movie from a not-comics nerd angle, you know? Yeah. I don't know how this movie plays to you, a person who doesn't know about Moreland, the vampire who eats Spider-Man from across the universe, because... All I'm this... just like, clearly that guy's the bad guy in some way. More, Moreland... Well, see, all the Spider-Men, they're kind of totems that exist in each universe, and Moreland is feeding on the totemic energy that is contained within the Spider-Man of each multi... This is stupid. Dan Slott writes stupid comics. I'm so glad he doesn't write Spider-Man anymore. Anyway, J. Michael Straczynski writes worse Spider-Man comics. Anyway, so the spot, me knowing him from the comics, I'm like, oh, that guy's a fucking loser. And this this movie starts to do sort of an interesting meta thing where if you know the spot, you're like, that guy's a fucking loser. And this movie builds him up to be not a loser. And his whole thing is like, everybody thinks I'm a loser. I'm going to prove him wrong. It yeah. kind of does. And I, I think even if even if you only know him from this movie... They establish him well enough that that is an interesting plot that can carry through to the end of the movie, and it also sort of parallels, you know, Miles' own struggles in a certain way, you yeah. know, of like... But I'm like, they, sh I feel like they have the time to resolve it, and I just don't know what else... Maybe they have some plan about how he's going to become all unrelated, but I just... yeah. And then the the they even could have made me think that they resolve things with the spot, and the next movie, oh, turns out the spot wasn't actually defeated. It right. still would have given me a little bit more of the sense of you resolve this, even if you're gonna then bring it back to tie it into something else. He just stops showing up halfway through the movie. Yeah, he just drops out of the movie after a certain yeah. bit, and then it's like, oh, he's still there. We still gotta deal with him. And then you, the moment he drops out of the movie, we get introduced to Miguel O'Hara, which is a really stupid comics guy that I like, and then I get really excited about this twist that he's going to actually be Morlin, uh, which is incredibly obvious to me. It's probably not obvious to people who are watching, but if you're if you're a kid, you're like, ooh, Miguel seems like a bad guy. And if you're an adult, if, you're like, oh, he's yeah. kind of a vampire? What's going on with that? What if, like, they resolve the thing with the spot, but then part of the cliffhanger is, yeah. even though they resolved the thing with the spot, and so, like, his effects shouldn't be hitting the universes anymore. It still is. What's mm -hmm. going on with that? Right. Maybe it's they bring it back and actually the spot was still in some way there. Or maybe it's the stuff that's going on with Miguel or like Yeah, Miguel else was like, using it as a cover-up for, for like what he was doing. Yeah, yeah his evil. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's just... Like, the spot in particular is the biggest of the like plot stuff from like you could have wrapped that up. Yeah, absolutely. And then the Gwen thing was the one where I was like, I felt like you tried to wrap it up, but actually I got so little of her that I want the next movie to be a lot about Gwen. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> um, I got so much of what's going on with Miles Because the movie is bookended by Gwen stuff. Yeah. Like, it opens and closes on Gwen. But the middle two hours is Miles, you know? Yeah. Which is fine. I really enjoyed all the Miles storyline, and I really enjoyed all the Gwen stuff, but the Gwen stuff needed to be developed a little more, I think, um, for it to stick the landing without it just feeling incomplete. The other thing that's happening is that, like, the Miguel stuff, he's like a villain in this way of, like, it's questioning what does it mean to be a hero? What does it mean to be Spider-Man specifically? That's an interesting thematic thing to chew on, 
you know, as it parallels, you know, Miles' own struggles with who he wants to be as a person, you know? That that has meat on those bones, and I assume that that will get, like, resolved in Spider-Verse 3. But then, instead of wrapping up the spot, or instead of wrapping up, um... Uh... The, uh, uh, Gwen stuff, instead of doing either of those, we get introduced to Earth-42, where there's evil Miles, and Uncle Aaron is still alive, and Captain Morales died, and, um, like, I'm really, really glad, by the way, that they just subtly... He's not named Jefferson Davis. Miles' dad is no longer named Jefferson Davis. Uh, really glad that we just totally sidestepped Wait, isn't, that. isn't he? I believe he is going by Jefferson Morales. I believe he took uh, oh, okay. his his wife's last name, which is also a thing that happened in the comics after someone at Marvel got the memo that you can't call... Uh, we introduced a new kid who's black Spider-Man, and we named his dad Jefferson Davis. <laughs> yeah. Um, Earth-1610-B. So Earth-1610-A is the ultimate Marvel universe, and Earth-1610-B is the universe that Miles from the Spider-Verse lives in. Because it's Earth-616, but inverted. I don't know why the ultimate universe is 1610. It is, and anyway, this doesn't matter. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, instead of resolving the spot stuff, they introduced the evil Miles from the alternate timeline. Um, and I think I think evil Miles would have been better as a post credits thing. I guess. Yeah, because if you, if you have to introduce Evil Miles, do it as a post credit. It feels so half baked. Yeah, and it, or it, you it, just save that for the. There's enough cliffhanger going on that you yeah. can intro Evil Miles in in the second movie and have that be the thing that develops because you resolve the spot and now you bring in the movie can easily end on Miles realizes he's in Earth 42. Next movie opens on. Oh, yeah. in Earth 42, there's evil Miles. Yeah. You know? It's enough of a cliffhanger to know that, like, oh, he's not in the right... He got sent back to the... the where is, like, the world that is, uh Spider was from, where there's no Spider-Man. What's going to go on here? There's mention... You could still have the part where there's the mention of, like, oh, you changed your hair or whatever. And, mm -hmm. like, oh, you got rid of your braids or whatever. Where, the, like, there's the sense of, like, oh, there's another Miles in this world. Mm -hmm. That's still enough of a cliffhanger. Yeah, you do that, and then and the stuff the, the post credits is, and we didn't even watch to see if there was a post credits yeah. thing, which is a whole other can of worms. I don't even. Yeah, I I feel like my favorite would be you don't even have the post credits that shows Evil Miles. You just have because there's also the part where, um, in like you know R Miles sixteen NB, um. Being like, oh, I told Miles that he's not grounded, and you're like, wait, is there a Miles now that's in this world? Right. It's not the one in, like, 
so that already that made me think oh did they swap places and imagine leaving that as the cliffhanger is oh maybe they swapped places and then we still have to figure out what she meant by like i ungrounded him because he's been gone right did that happen before then well well so so that is that is that the dad grounded him yeah. in, in earth 1610 dad grounded him she's like Okay, I can see you're really into this girl. Go talk to her, and then when you come back, you're grounded again. And so when she, oh, so like basically no time's passed. Yeah, it's like an, a couple hours have passed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I ungrounded him for this evening and this evening only. I think, but but Dad gets mad before they can have that conversation. Yeah. Um. Well, we're complaining a lot. I really fucking liked this movie. I think the ending sort of whiffs in a way that's like, yeah, I just don't think that like doing a last page reveal works in a movie the way it works in a monthly comic book, you know? Yeah. Um, um, this movie, I, I did four stars, which is how I was feeling throughout a lot of it. And I feel like it would have been a three and a half stars if you weren't there being excited about everything. And then I was like, oh, it's it's still just fun watching with, like, my kid who's just into Spider-Man and you're all excited about Spider-Man. And I, 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 like, saved it from, like, going down to three and a half for me. I I had a ball just pointing at all the little references I spotted, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is, like, I don't know. I, I get, I very much roll my eyes at movies that are just, like, here's a reference to a thing you know, you know, like... Like, something that springs to mind immediately is when, in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, the first one, when they walk through Antonio Banderas' museum, um, you can look in the background, and you're like, oh, there's a scroll back there. Oh, look, there's Howard the Duck, blah, 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 blah. Um, that's like... There's just a different tone to it when I'm already enjoying the movie. You know, which, you know, to be fair, I think the first time I watched Guardians of the Galaxy, I was enjoying that movie. And so I was excited when I saw the references like like I guess. Yeah, um, Spider-Verse got me in with, oh, I'm enjoying this movie. And then 10 minutes in starts laying it on thick with the references, you know, once Jessica drew, which also I thought that was exciting because um this Jessica Drew is sort of a an oh, taking from the Dennis Hopeless run on Spider Man or Spider Woman, pardon me. Um, they gave her a new costume in that run, and I one I really like those comics, and I think they're underrated. And two, Dennis Hopeless, the guy who was the writer on those comics, um, used to work at the comic book store that I grew up going to, um, and so I was like oh, I have like a little tiny hometown connection. And then also flipping it so that Jess was black, I thought was like a really good choice. You know, I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't you just make this character black? There's no reason not to. She looks great. You know, no one, no one cares that much about Jessica Drew. (laughs) So why wouldn't you just like, you know, introduce a cool new character design? Yeah. You know, (laughs) There's no, no one's out here like, I really fucking care about Spider-Woman. No one says that. (laughs) Well, also, they should, you know, they should make characters who people care very deeply about black, but also, you know. Yeah. Um. Stairs. 
stairs. There's some fire escapes. There's like that one where he's like running up at the cakes or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you wanna say a B? You wanna say a C plus? You wanna say C? I was gonna accept B minus if you fought it. C plus works. C plus works. Um. Oh, you know what? You know what? Can we? Go. I'm gonna do a B minus because there's the part where uh they're like all falling dramatically like uh Miles in the spot and then his dad is walking down the stairs. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'll give it a B minus for that. Can we give can we give Into the Spider Verse a C plus? Because I really like the bit where Peter and Miles are talking, um, and they're walking up and down the wall right next to the fire escape. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty fun. <laughs> okay. Um, time for the actual movie. Time for the movie we're supposed to be talking about. The Grudge by Shimizu Takashi. Produced by Sam Raimi. He used that Spider-Man money for something beautiful and good. <laughs> um, we were talking, I brought it up and I, I pretty quickly was just like, let's just watch the 2004 Hollywood one. Yes. Um... For a few reasons, which is one, I have an affection for this because this was a part of this era where there was like Japanese horror movies were, were coming out in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some that I think are like doing a, a decent job at a- adaptation. Like I think The Ring is a pretty good, you know, doing an American version of it. Um, there's some really bad ones. Pulse is fucking horrible. Compared to... I Kyra. forgot there's a, yeah. an American version American of Pulse. American Pulse sucks. Um, and this one, by virtue of like it being a Hollywood movie that's produced by Sam Raimi, mm-hmm. but is directed by uh, Shimizu, who's just like a V-Cinema guy. Yeah. There's just this energy that if you've watched enough V-Cinema... It's just weird watching a V-Cinema guy make a Hollywood movie. It's also, like, the energy is kind of there in the cast, too, because, like, in 2004, it's not that Sarah Michelle Gellar isn't a star, obviously. Yeah. But she's not a movie star. She's a TV star. Yeah. And Bill Pullman is, like, I like Bill Pullman a lot. I'm not looking at Bill Pullman and she's, thinking... Same year she's doing Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. Yeah. You know? Hey, you know what's a good movie is Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, but like... That's not a joke. People should check out Scooby-Doo you know, 2 Monsters Unleashed. This is this is past the era of her being in, like, I Know What You Did Last Summer and Scream 2 and stuff. Yeah. Um, when, did, when did Buffy run through? Buffy, I want to say, ran from, like, 98 to, like, 2005... 2003. So, yeah. She's like finishing up her run of Buffy and stuff. Yeah, 97 like, to 2003. Yeah. Like she's she's like one of the bigger stars on here, but yeah, there's still like there's just an energy to the casting. She here. never really broke through into Hollywood, I feel like, you know. Yeah. And yeah, like Bill Pullman is not like a huge get. And then there's, like, three other American names in this cast list that I don't fucking recognize. <laughs> I mean, Clea Duvall. A um, face I certainly recognized when I was watching yeah. the movie, but not a name I recognize. Um, She's in Better Call Saul, apparently. I always think of But I'm a Cheerleader and Girl Interrupted. Those are, like... I haven't seen those. Bigger. 
I know those are I know those are well liked movies. She seems like she has become a star in the sort of like quote unquote golden age of television era. Yeah. Which I think But yeah, there's again, it just has a certain energy of it being like there are just moments where it feels very V cinema. Yeah, and there's uh, there's also moments where it feels very 2004 Hollywood horror, and the the way the things can clash, and the way things like you can cut from this is a V cinema shot to this is a weird goofy early CG shot to this is a V cinema shot again. That it's so delightful <laughs> to like. Here, here he's like having a static camera pointed at like a room where all the services are just polished way, way too high because maybe they're going to do something with like you seeing the ghost in the reflection on the refrigerator or something and they don't. But then Sam Raimi goes, give me that fucking camera so I can have it like drift up towards the ceiling. Fucking Christ. <laughs> but then make also, it move. It's like, like there are so many <laughs> reflective surfaces all through this movie because you know they're going to do a jump scare in their reflective surfaces. And then the one that they finally do is so is so like obviously done and is like doing a cheesy CG thing. Because if it was if this was actually the cinema, there would be an in-camera f- effect where mm. like that wouldn't actually be glass there, you know? It would be Yeah, or like, they'd set up the reflection in such a way where because it wouldn't be her looking in the mirror and seeing the face of the ghost. It would be they're in the room. They're not even looking at the refrigerator. You, the viewer, can see that the ghost walks past in the reflection. Right, right. And seemingly would walk in, in front of their vision or something. You know, right. do something like that. Yeah, but but because this is this because this is a Hollywood movie. Instead, we get. The CG version of yeah. all that jazz, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's just delightfully silly. Yeah, should we summarize the Grudge? Do people not know the plot of the Grudge? So this was the first one that you watched too, and I was like, one, this is technically a remake because the original one has like instead of it being a professor, it's some like student or something um, that she has a crush on. So there are like key things to the original backstory of the grudge that like Bill Pullman gets slotted in as the character that she had a crush on that then makes the like husband. Oh, can I interrupt you briefly? What? There are a couple appearances from Ted Raimi in this movie that just tickled me to no end. (laughs) What a fucking dweeb. Um, Alex, the director of the care center. Um, Anyway, but there's also this way that it functions as just a continuation. There's a way that, like, if you just kind of set aside the few places where it's, like, replacing the original, mm-hmm. you know, lore or, like, backstory behind the ghost. Um, there's also a way that you can read this as just the... Because the basic structure of all of the Juon movies are, one, there's sort of this, like, out of... You know, it, it's not like fully linear. Mm-hmm. There's a way that like you'll start at some point where the haunting is in process and then people will discover more about the past and then you'll see those scenes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is tied or, to people doing discoveries. A lot of it is this like very basic like horror mystery structure. It's not really that complex, despite yeah. what Letterboxd reviews will have you believe. This is why we don't read Letterboxd reviews. Um, but 
and you know, usually there's some part where you will get this confirmation, and especially like in the Japanese movies, I feel like there's less like fully we have to rehash all the details, but you'll still sort of get this part towards the end where like you get the the basic like here's the origin of the curse again, um, and so all of them. Like, the main series is you just keep, like, you'll start on a new person who gets affected by the curse in some way, right? Uh, and then dies. Lim and then you'll find out and behaving. more. And it all ties into, like, You're, you know. Okay. Are you Lem? You're Ollie. No, this, this is Lem. Ah, oh, damn it. Um, in the... Like, basically, the overarching story of The Grudge is this thing that you get where we'll explain the basic plot. There's Kayako. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a crush on somebody. Mm-hmm. There's two basic, there's two somebodies, but she's a crush on somebody and is writing about him in her diary, but in a way where her husband reads it and thinks that it's like a full affair and not just a crush. Right. And then in anger, he like murders her and then their son sees and then he murders the son and then kills himself and then he kills himself and then the the wife and the son are like Kayako and um uh Toshio are the main ones that haunt but occasionally uh Takeo will also show up the the husband mm-hmm. um also is sort of part of the whole ghost haunting thing mm-hmm. mostly and the the first two ones that set it up um the uh drawing a blank on the the name of the first one um because it's not just the f- the phone number that's all fours um uh Katasumi. um that one sort of introduces Kayako just as like a ghost you don't get the backstory um and 4444444444 introduces um, Toshio is a ghost, but you don't get the full backstory. And then, like, the first movie, like, actually gives the whole backstory of all these. But basically what happens is, like, somebody will go into the house, become haunted, and then carry the, the, the curse out. And so, going into the house is the main source of the curse and is the main place where people get cursed. But then that curse will sometimes get carried to other spaces where if you have been in that house and have been hit by, which we get, like we get the Clea Duvall character gets killed in her apartment, mm-hmm. not in, um, you know, the house. This is the and first in, time. And in the like lore of grudge, that apartment's now haunted too. And sometimes will become haunted by another person who was killed. The spirit of the person who was then killed. This is, so it's like the the bigger like if you're to like do the whole you know eventually the whole world the will whole be world haunted. will be haunted. I just want to say that I spent most of this movie pretty convinced that I could have survived this. That you if can't. I, if I were in Sarah Michelle Gellar's sp- place, I would have gotten through this movie. And then I I kept explaining more of the like actual lore behind it, and then you're like, "Well, I'll just get an exorcist." And I was like, "Let me tell you about the plot of the Grudge too." <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I just the the only thing that made me doubt my ability to survive the Grudge was this uh, aspect where like now her apartment's haunted. Yeah. No, you you go into the house and you're already fucked. That's the thing about the grudge. So, um, 
Yeah, that's the basic plot. And so with this one, you get like Sarah Michelle Gellar is like the main character, I would say. And she she gets involved in this because she goes over to um, the main social worker has gone missing. She got killed. We'll find out. And then she haunts the she's the one who then goes and haunts the 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 boss. Well, and the the thing that I want to stress here is that the the she's the nurse slash social worker for Grace Zabriskie, basically reprising her role from Twin Peaks. Yeah. It's extremely clear that Shimizu cast her because he liked Twin Peaks and just has her and do Sarah Palmer. Yeah, and and is uh, in a weird way presaging, like yeah. the space between original. Sarah Palmer and the return Sarah Palmer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like she is, this character is watching, you know, videos of like tigers ripping out antelopes hearts or whatever. Yeah. Uh, even though that did not happen in the real world until 2018. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So she goes to check in on the, the like, you know, like mostly does not talk and, um, all of that. And uh-huh. it's like kind of is like mentally not entirely there, mom. Stellar performance from Grace Sabrisky, where she probably has like six lines tops. Yeah. yeah. Um and then uh she sees um uh Kayako uh-huh. uh as like a bunch of hair first coming down and then like the face and everything. She also has a conversation with Toshio. Yeah, she has a conversation with Toshio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toshio is always just the saddest of this where I I don't remember if there are some where Toshio like kills someone but I feel like most of the time it's kind of just a sad boy who makes cat noises because he was drowned with the cat yeah Toshio is just sort of a witness to all that happens yeah. through a lot of this movie yeah Um. but uh, yeah and then as it goes, like more of the family gets haunted, and then it also oh, it starts with Bill Pullman jumping off a ledge, and you're not sure what happened there. Which I saw, and I was like, ah, oh, I understand the opening of Scary Movie Four now. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is a then, really stupid thing to think. But then you find out that he was the professor that she had a crush on, and then he went to the house and encountered the ghost and found out about what happened, and then felt like so messed up about it that he uh-huh. decided to kill himself or whatever. Right. Um or perhaps was in some way affected by the ghost who knows. Who knows? Um uh, can we talk briefly about his widow? Because I don't know where she's gonna yeah. come up again. Yeah. This is utterly insane. <laughs> So, Sarah, like, three quarters of the way through the movie, Sarah Michelle Geller, she's investigating this, and she finds Kayako's... Because she's kind of slightly teaming up with the detective from Suicide Circle. Yes! Yes! <laughs> to try and investigate what's going on with this house. Um, and these, like, disappearances and stuff. Uh... <laughs> And he's extremely playing the same character. It's such a game changer when he shows up in the movie playing the same character <laughs> that he's playing in Suicide Circle. It's yeah. so delightful. Um, so um, Sarah Michelle Geller, she's found this connection to Bill Pullman's character. And so she goes to talk to Bill Pullman's widow, who is apparently just sitting in her apartment in the most beautiful full face makeup. Um, 
and like lingerie and like a silk gown. Yeah, she's got her pussy popping. <laughs> she is serving to an audience of zero people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's serving con and smoking a pack of cigarettes every hour. Yes. She is smoking Grace Zabriskie levels of cigarettes. <laughs> or I should say Sarah Palmer. I don't yeah. really know Grace Zabriskie's own habits. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> there's nothing to say. This scene is pretty brief. I do just <laughs> love this absolutely insane glimpse into the life of this widow who does not going to matter again. <laughs> yeah. And there was no other moment to bring it up, so... Um, yeah, and then I just feel like, uh, you know, various people die uh-huh. in the family and related. And This is like such a not scary movie, but I can't tell if that's because the two of us are pretty inoculated to horror movies, I feel like. Like, there is also a way that I just think that the, the like, grudge movies in general, but especially these ones, are kind of meant. I think they're meant to be funny at times. I it's kind of it's I feel like there's some jokes, you know? Yeah. I like he reaches into the to the fucking bathtub and he pulls up all that hair and it feels like a joke. It's yeah. you know. <laughs> um uh it and feels I, I think like the, the parts where the movie's the most affecting is like there's the parts where like she'll be crawling down the stairs in this, like, really weird way, and you're like, oh, how creepy. And then you get to the part at the end where you see, like, the actual scene of how she was killed, and, um, you know, also, like, Toshio and stuff. And then all these, like, weird, just kind of creepy quirks about the ghosts, you then understand is them, like, reenacting the moments of their death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the part where it's, like, not not necessarily becomes really scary, but is like moving out of that joke mode and until something that's a little bit more affecting. But yeah, there's um, Lem, did you have something to say? I've literally never heard this cat meow. Oh, maybe not literally, but let me see. Nope, oh, that's Ollie because he meows. Oh, that is Ollie. That was an Ollie sound. You wanna do you wanna say it again into the mic? No. Okay. <laughs> Please sit on my lap. Please don't cause any trouble. Um, it re- it reminded me a little bit of um Tomie. Um, I'm not super familiar with Junji Ito. I know that he is like a you know one of the most beloved mangaka in the world. Um, but like Tomie and um uh Orochi, I think, is the name of a Kazuo Umez uh manga. That feels very influential to Tomie. Both of those are like horror, but they feel very comedic to me. Tomie is like so overwrought. Like, it is so ridiculous the ways that these people contort themselves to kill themselves over Tomie that it becomes comedic, you know, especially as the book goes on, because it's like 20 chapters. 20, like, 40-page chapters that are all just, like, absurd ways that people are killing themselves over Tomie. Um, And this feels very much in line with that, where, like, as the movie is progressing, you know, like, early on, it's like, oh, that's a jump scare. And you're like, oh, they did the same jump scare again. Oh, they keep 
doing this same jump scare. <laughs> and it just feels like it feels like the absurdity is heightening, you know, it, the, the, like the horror and the absurdity feel like very, like they're walking hand in hand, you know? Um, it's also like just little moments where it's like, there's kind of the trope of the security guard. Who's like kind of a wiry dude. And you just know he's going to get got when he goes out to like help or it's just going to like, go and then the person will get killed and then they'll come back and like not see anything and be like, Oh, I guess you left or, you know, but like the really ineffectual security guard is kind of wiring. And then this one is like in like a almost like David Byrne level, just like floppy, way too big suit for him. Yes. Absolutely. And like, they always kind of put the guy in the suit, but this one just feels exaggerated in a way of like, well, they always do this and it's funny. He's got a hat. That's like four sizes too big. Yeah. The hat's absurd. You can't see his eyes under the hat. He doesn't, like, actual age-wise look like he's in middle school, but he looks like he's in middle school. He looks like two kids in a trench coat. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's Um, great. It's very funny. And also, I don't want to, like, two other touchstones that came to my mind were, um, you know, because I don't want to make this sound like this is some unique thing that only Japanese horror does because the other thing that came to my mind was like, it's kind of a treehouse of horror episode about the grudge, you know, or it's, it very much reminds me also of like EC comics stuff, you know, which I don't think is like an influence necessarily as much as horror. Like if you're into horror, like horror can be such a tropey place that like, I feel like a a thing that a lot of people arrive to is, well, let's have fun with it. Let's play with it. And it ends up kind of funny. The the surprise can be both scare and the laugh. Like, yes, you, you are scared by the unexpected thing that happens, but that's also the premise of humor is like an unexpected thing pops up and it makes you laugh. Sure. Yeah. Um, And like, you know, I think we've like briefly talked about the part where like the guy reaches in and pulls out the hair, mm-hmm. but then where he's just like, Oh, I'm out of here. These people are buying the house. Like, yeah, sold. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm not going to deal with this at all. I found like a weird ghost hair bathtub situation. And I'm just going to be like, you're buying it. Oh, good. I, cause I want to get out of here. I believe at that, at that point in the movie, you were like, yeah, your, your theory is that this is, Sort of a sequel to the Grudge movie where this guy can only sell the house to dumbass white people who don't know yeah. about the curse. <laughs> yeah, there is a certain way that, especially if you just, like, like sort of pretend away the Bill Pullman part. Uh-huh. Being, like, a rewriting of a part of the canon. Uh-huh. Everything else is just, because every single one is, here's this different, like, family and, like, different people who are related in some way who get affected by the curse. So this is just, here's all these dumb white people that got affected by it. Yes. There's totally a way that you could sell this movie where, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar is, like, uncovering the mystery of what happened. Where I think if you just did some slight tweaks, it would just be, like, everybody in Japan had already figured this out. And they're just letting the dumb white people do it. There's no way. You reminded me of something by mentioning Sarah Michelle Gellar. And this is kind of off topic, but kind of not. There's no way... That Shimizu was not laughing his ass off when he directed Sarah Michelle Geller to say, Watashi wa Karen. Yeah. 
It's fucking funny, okay? <laughs> there are definitely moments where he has the white people speak Japanese that feels like it's a joke for him. Yeah, yes. that's the biggest one, but there's a, there's a number. Watashiwa Karen. <laughs> She's talking to Toshio, which is also very yeah. funny. <laughs> Who just answers, Toshio, or Toshio. whatever. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That wasn't Ollie, that was me, listener. I know I I Ollie makes such a cute little sound. I know. I wanted to assure mm-hmm. them that Ollie is much cuter than me. Um Yeah. Who's not causing trouble on the podcast? I, I genuinely think that the the two thousand four grudge is a fantastic movie. I love this movie. Um I do think it's a like it's a movie that I, I, if someone's not familiar with horror and especially isn't familiar with like sort of V cinema Japanese horror, I would be like, there's like better stuff for like you getting into the genre. But I feel like if you've just watched enough like V cinema stuff, yeah, there's just some special sauce going on here where it's you just should... weird and funky enough that it's really fun to watch. You should watch Cure or Pulse before this. You should watch, uh, you should watch Ring, the Japanese. Ringu, if you if you're yeah. nasty, you should watch House. Yeah, Houseu, if yeah. you're nasty. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of House, House is a great movie for this sort of interplay of horror and comedy. I yeah. can't believe I didn't really think of heavy on now. the comedy side in yeah. particular. There, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 in doing so, highlights how so much horror stuff has comedy to it. You yeah. know, yeah. um. Yeah, there's like ten different like Japanese horror movies. You should go watch Suicide Circle. Uh, I haven't seen it, but you should like go watch One Missed Call. Probably like there's a lot of stuff you should see before you should see the American remake of The Grudge. But once you feel like you're you sort of like know the genre a little bit, that backing is going to make you like The Grudge. 2004 more i think if you come to this movie cold you're gonna be like what is this weird nonsense this like i I think if you come to it cold you'll probably pick up on this is like half v cinema weirdo stuff and half like overproduced hollywood nonsense but i think like once you once you're familiar with the genre i think you can appreciate that rather than being like sit you can appreciate the dissonance rather than yeah. just like sort of being like, what is going on with this? You yeah. know? Also, like, Cure is a better movie than this. You yeah. know? Pulse is a a way better and way <laughs> scarier movie. There's a part where she goes and the door is like all taped up, and it's meant to be like creepy, so that it's like all like just a bunch of tape that's just like pulled and stretched and it's like yeah, all like, weird and clumped around and there's the like yards and, and yards of packing tape on it. Yeah. It's not nearly as scary as like it's the perfectly like immaculate red tape around the door. <sighs> Man, Pulse is fucking scary. Yeah. <laughs> Pulse is, I think, the only time I don't get scared by movies all that often. I get scared by games. I get scared sometimes by books, sometimes not. Um, I get scared by other stuff, but movies don't really get to me. But Pulse is one of the few times where a movie really fucking got me, you know? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I don't think that this is like a masterpiece, but I think that if you're, you know, if you have watched all the movies that we've talked about on the podcast. Like you will have an appreciation for this movie and the stupid shit it's getting up to. Yeah. Uh, which it is. And like, 
in some ways for me, it's like, there's something really beautiful about they just gave the guy the money to make it. Yeah. I'm glad he got a fucking check out of this movie, you know? Yeah, and he got to make a second one. And the grudge, I guess I, I haven't seen a lot of stuff after like this specific era of the grudge. Cause this was like, when this movie came out, it was around the time I was watching like a bunch of these. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie made 187 million at yeah. the box office. It did well. I yeah. liked this movie a lot when I saw it for the first time. Yeah. I mean, I had a little bit of V Cinema backing, but I have more now. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> yeah, like. I have to support Ollie's head like he's an infant. The Grudge 2, the sequel to this movie, is like a direct sequel in the way that I, is just not true of like the Japanese ones. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like, it starts with Sarah Michelle Geller. Mm-hmm. And she dies. Cause the no grudge. way. And then it, like, I forget if it... Let me look this up. I feel like it goes to, like, Chicago, but I could be misremembering. Um, hey, bud. <clears throat> hey, but there's way more that shot in... There's uh, only, like, 20 minutes of podcast left, boss. Just chill. Yeah. Just sit here. Be chill. Um, I wish I could just click on, and it's sequel, The Grudge Tube, and instead I have to go to the whole article for the, like... Why, play- why is Wikipedia uh, so bad at showing you sequels uh, to movies sometimes? A side quote? Oh, this is, like, the reboot, but that wasn't actually a reboot. Um, The Grudge Tube. So this is the one that's, like, the most direct sequel, I think, of any of them. <clears throat> um, Directed by the same director. Yeah. I think he, like, basically has, has done most... Yeah, so it goes to Chicago. Okay. They go to an apartment block in Chicago. <laughs> That's... And the apartment block gets cursed. That's some Jason Takes Manhattan shit. Yeah. You're telling me this isn't a joke? <laughs> they did Jason Takes Manhattan for the grudge. <laughs> um, anyway, they try to do a, a, a exorcism, and um, it doesn't go the best. Okay. I think they successfully exercise the ghost, but in the process, the exorcist dies and becomes the new ghost or something Ooh. stupid like that. I gotta watch Poltergeist one of these days. I also gotta watch The Exorcist. Yeah. Never never seen either of those. Um. Anyway. Anyway. Stairs? In The Grudge? I think it's like at least an A. There's a lot of stairs. I almost want to say an A plus. Yeah, I think we can do A plus. I feel like the 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 big stairs scene, I feel like, is the bit well There's the two. There's the part where she's going down the stairs. So there's the bit where um Kayoko, is that the, is yeah. that her name? Is, or Kayako. Kayako. Is um she's like contorting herself and she comes down the stairs and she kills somebody. I don't remember who. Yeah. But then there's also the bit where Bill Pullman's sister? No, Sarah Michelle Geller's sister-in-law? Whatever. The sister of somebody in this movie. She's in her like high-rise apartment building and she's in like the stairwell and and Kayako is like following her up the stairs. And that's pretty creepy. So I almost want to put this into an S because it gave us like, yeah, there's a lot. There's of not, there's not an S stairwell scene, but there's like two A plus stairwell scenes. Well, and the part where Kayako goes down the stairs, all creepy yeah. and kills, then also has the going down the stairs when like the actual we're seeing the like 
murder happen. Yeah. So, like, th- those stairs, like, recur as those, an important thing. They There's also developed. a lot of, like, characters going up and down. You got Toshio sitting on the stairs. Stuff like that. So. And I would maybe even still be sitting at an A+, but I think it introduces stairs in other locations that are almost as good, you know, that, yeah. that bump it into the S t- tier for me. Yeah. I feel like there's a really good shot in the apartment complex where you're looking down and you see like the whole like spiral. Yeah, the, the vertigo. And can, yeah, and you can like see like Kayako or something at the bottom. Yes. And, or the like, shadow the, of her, I think. Yeah, and all the lights are like turning off above. That's not that's not strictly a vertigo thing. Lots of things do that, but I just don't know. Vertigo is the quickest way to refer to that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think we knew that. There's a, there's a lot of stairs. There's a lot of stairs. And there's a number of good stairwell scenes. So. See, sometimes the movies warrant an extended discussion yeah. of the stairwells. Yeah. So I'm glad we did a bit. Um, Next yeah, time? Would, would you be so kind as to tell us? Yeah, so we were talking about a couple different things. At some point, we're probably going to get to the bitter tears of Petra von Kant, which is a thing yeah. we were talking about doing before. We had, uh, it looks like, eight movies that we had sort of like penciled in and then the strike happened and we took all these movies off the table uh and so and i wanted us to do the bitter tears of petra von Kahn at some point it is like i think mostly in an apartment uh and it's going to be a little bit of like a boring german art film which we like here but i just didn't think that was the vibe we just want to get into the like being excited about movies in a way yeah where that'll still be good and fun but and if we want a really boring, uh, like European art film, we could also probably do one that's gonna like hit more immediately and harder in that sort of vein. I almost would want to do Red Desert because I'm so curious about it, and I know yeah. that you and M have such an affection for it. I feel like M more than me, but yeah, yeah, like like it's still really good. I want I want the I want Antonioni to redeem himself after neither of us liked Blow Up, um, which feels more like we chose his worst movie than him being a bad director. Yeah. Um, but we chose something that we both got excited about as soon as we saw it on our list of stuff, which is cruising. Yeah. Friedkin. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I saw this movie when I was 16. It's been a very long time. I don't yeah, remember. I've not seen it in a while. Either. I don't remember a fucking thing. I know it's I'm like not... problematic gay stuff, so we're going to fucking love it. We're going to eat it up. I'm not even sure. Yum, if... yum. Problematic. <laughs> I'm not even totally sure if I've seen this. I'm pretty sure I saw it when I was 16, but I'm not totally sure. So, yeah, we're going to love this. <laughs> um, also, I watched this around the same time as Midnight Cowboy. And so there are ways that my image and feeling about those films are are fused, even as I'm like aware of like key visual differences and like differences about the plot and everything. There's still a way that my feeling of those two are like sort of slightly intertwined, I think. Also, I did see that you have um, Graveyard of Honor, the original, on this list. And the remake. Oh, you have both. Yeah, I'd love to get to both of those sometime soon. Maybe not right after cruising, yeah. but maybe like start of 2024, you know, yeah. something like that. We've also got a couple on the docket, uh, the Psycho remake with M. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to do Basic Instinct with M because that movie fucking rules. We wanted it. We want to get Nora Can't on to do Cash on Sins. Some people think it's four stars. Yeah, we're going to do Cash on with. Uh, Who Nora. thinks Basic Instinct is four stars? Jackson. What the fuck? 
Basic Instinct is a five... If Basic Instinct isn't a five-star movie, then there are no five-star movies. Basic Instinct is everything I want cinema to be and more. Yeah. I can't believe he did RoboCop and and Basic Instinct. The two most perfect and movies. Showgirls. And Showgirls. I haven't and seen Starship Troopers. I haven't seen Starship Troopers. We should watch Showgirls and Starship Troopers. Well, if we do Starship Troopers, that's legit one of Nora's favorite yeah. movies, so we do need to get Nora on for yeah. that. But uh, Nora, I think... That could also be a part of my franchise thing. Yeah. Thing. Nora really wants to do Casher and Sins with us. Also, next month, we've got the Star Wars Holiday Special with Nora, so that'll be an export. That's not a stairwells. So, yeah. Yeah. Aren't you excited to watch the Star Wars Holiday Special? No. You're so excited to watch the Star Wars Holiday Special. There's a little bit where I'm like, I'm just finally going to know... What it is what? we've been talking about. Yeah, and especially just the Wookiee J.O.I. video. Because <laughs> it's just, it's like, it's like the biggest thing lodged in my brain about the Star Wars holiday special. And I can't, I can't, like, envision what it would be that would be a thing on TV. But that would also just so clearly be a Wookiee J.O.I. video. Can I ask you a question? There's real a quick? needle there that's being thread threaded. It feels like, and I want to see how it threads it. Can I? Can I ask you a question real quick? What? Will the Incredible Hulk be presenting this evening? No. No, it will not be. Okay. Where can people find you online? You can follow me at FoxMomNia on basically uh, any social media thing that I'm on. Uh, Twitter is the main thing that I post on. If you want to check my letterbox, that's also FoxMomNia. You can see the movies that I watch and what rating I give. And if I decide to do a review, which I don't usually. But occasionally I just feel like there's something that's like kind of funny. If I have something funny to say, I do a letterboxed review. But that's kind of the only circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Or or like The Grudge. I I wrote a review that just says this movie's fucking hilarious because I was like skimming letterboxed reviews and I was like people are being harsh on this movie and I don't get it. Yeah. Um Annie List if you want to see my manga reading and anime watching stuff. Uh I got to update my Goodreads. If you want to follow me, I'm like autumnal underscore coffee on Goodreads, but I don't know why you'd want to follow me there. Like yeah. I talk about all the stuff I read on other podcasts um and go listen to my other podcasts uh ghost divers we're currently doing nana i don't know if you've heard of it no i haven't uh you should check it out i did check it out from the library of nia's bookshelf actually i'm reading volume 13 next um go listen to pondering puton a kumarty high school podcast Mm -hmm. um and uh, around the long fire, where Em and I are currently reading the Nibelungen lead, um, but uh, we also just talk about. I feel like that's where like the bulk of my video game talk goes most of the time. But, yeah. Um. Also, VTuber talk when I have it, because Em's the one person who's gonna like have followed along enough to have any sort of conversation about not that i'm talking that much about narissa but like probably the next one i'll like briefly talk about the birthday stuff and Mm -hmm. i can't believe they uh people convinced her not to do just christmas carols for this fucked up karaoke thing tasteless clowns there was still this brief part where like at the very end 
Um, and I was just like falling asleep at the end because I had to go to bed for work the next day. Uh, she had her sister on, like brought her sister in briefly to help her with Black Parade because her like voice was giving out and you just like have to belt Black Parade. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sis- her sister came back for some other stuff later. And there's this part where they were just kind of like randomly starting singing things. Um, and they did like a decent chunk of Silent Night and I was like, God damn it, they should have just done fucking Christmas carols. We've been so good. This cat is melting in my arms. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> also, Connor and I have decided on the New Year special, uh, if you have questions for us about anything that we've covered this year on Ghost Divers. What is that? An anime podcast that I do. Not, on the Export Audio Network. What have you covered on Ghost Divers? Oh. <laughs> Ghost Divers is. I thought you were doing the, like, for the audience. Reminder. No, let's ghost I wanted to be reminded um, of what you'd covered this year. So, obviously, we're doing Nana right now. Um, I think this year started with... Well, yeah, we, like, finished up Kino's Journey, so um, people have some more stuff there, but we already kind of did some of that mm-hmm. last time. Especially because I think we had watched all of it when we recorded. Sure. Um... But we did Iron Blooded Orphans and Psychopaths. And now Nana. And now Nana. Um I guess like we're doing Putan, so like I guess if you do Cromarty High School stuff, but the thing that we're doing is we're gonna talk about Barry Linden. Because we d- we wanted something easy. We wouldn't talk about very long because we have like other stuff that we have to get through. Um so we're gonna talk about Barry Linden. So if you have, send them to ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. That's ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. I've never seen Barry Lyndon, so I'm putting it on the list right next to Master and Commander of movies that I'm excited to finally have a reason to watch. Not that I've had plenty of reasons to watch Barry Lyndon. My friends like it and have recommended it, similar to Master and Commander, but, you know, sometimes you need that little extra kick to... Yeah. Uh, But also just, like, general about the podcast questions. We enjoy them. Yeah. Uh, we have one that somebody sent in, like, literally right, like, the day that the last New Year special came out or something. So, um, speaking of, before I say where can you find, uh, where can people find you? Uh, Rick writes in on the 13th of July, what is a movie that works on you emotionally that you would assume would not? Mine is Armageddon. The last 15 minutes of that movie really hits for me. The first thought that came to my mind was Tetsuo because we'd been talking about Tetsuo earlier. And, like, Tetsuo hits me in, like, transgender feelings. But it's not unexpected, you know? Yeah. Um, Something that affects me emotionally that I wouldn't necessarily expect it to. Um, I'm going to scroll through Letterboxd real quick and try to brainstorm an answer. Um, oh... Because of my little sleep mode version of um, uh, oh, sorry, I was reading your your wife was texting us both about how good she did at a Katamari level. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't pull up Letterboxd because I have the little sleepy mode version of my phone going, so I don't have a good answer to this right this moment. 
Yeah. Partially because it's 11.30, and I'm sorry, Rick, that I'm not answering this email I guess you we knew it next time. I just wasn't... I pre- guess it's been months, so we can just push it another two weeks. Well, speaking of Rick, uh, you know, um, this Sunday, Rick and I will be recording with Manovsky article, a.k.a. Casey. Uh, well, Casey is their name. <laughs> And they go by Minovsky article on Twitter. <laughs> we'll be recording an episode of Coffee and Comic Books with them about um, Invitation from a Crab, which I'm very excited to be covering here soon. Um, uh, that you can find by going to exportodd.io slash coffee. Um, we've been in the weeds doing a bunch of $5 episodes, but um, right now, sometime, hopefully tomorrow, but it's gotten late enough that you know, maybe, I don't know. Uh, words, 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 words. We recorded an episode about City of Glass for Coffee and Comic Books, which was fucking phenomenal. Rick brings us such good books to cover on that podcast. I would have never known about City of Glass without this podcast, and um, City of Glass is incredible. Really glad we read that, um, and that episode will be out for free soon. And if you want to hear all our $5 episodes, like, for example, about Hunter Hunter or Walt Simonson's Orion or uh, any number of other things, you should listen to that Walt Simonson episode. We basically just spend the thing I did earlier where I oversummarized the plot of a noir movie. Rick and I just do that together where we oversummarize Walt Simonson's 25 issue run on Orion. Um, we had a blast doing that that is such a good episode (laughs) i feel like that was the episode where we really figured out what this podcast was you know yeah um i don't remember what the other five dollar episodes. there's a bunch of five dollar episodes but i don't remember which ones are five dollars and which ones are free there's some five dollar billy bat episodes there's some five dollar um i think our top 10 by alan moore episode is five dollars you know um yeah but there's also a bunch of free ones you could find those by going to export odd.io slash coffee invitation from a crab will be free and then oh yeah nora and i are gonna nora rick and i are gonna do uh ashley woods metal gear solid and possibly automatic kafka rick mentioned it and then nora sounded kind of into it but we haven't talked about it any more than nora sounded interested in it um I'm just looking at movies that I have like rated highlight that night. I'm I'm yeah, I'm reading over your shoulder to see if there's anything um that resonates for this um Yeah, okay, okay. Uh this is maybe a little bit of a cop out answer. I didn't expect to think my neighbor Totoro is way sadder than Grave of the Fireflies. This is partially due to, you know, my own childhood um, and my mom going through... My mom survived cancer, but, you know, um, my mom being diagnosed with cancer around the same age as, like, those girls from My Neighbor Totoro. So I will say that I did not expect My Neighbor Totoro to be way fucking sadder to me personally than (laughs) Grave of the Fireflies is. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just in in me looking through this, I think the first one where I, I feel is a little bit is a life of aquatic just because I've never felt super emotionally affected by Wes Anderson films. They're like fun and interesting and like 
you know, but I, I feel like there's never been like quite the same emotional core for me. And the, especially the life aquatic is of like Wes Anderson movies. The, the one that for the one to be the one that I like felt the most emotional about to be the one that's about like Bill Murray being kind of a shit and like, it's just a Moby Dick story. There's a real good gut punch at the end of, um, what's that anthology film he did last year that I really liked? Uh, the, the something, uh, something French from dispatch the, or something? the French dispatch for the Liberty, Liberty, Kansas evening sun. Skinmarink's the other one. I just expected oh, that to be yeah. a horror movie. And I, I, I watched that being like, Oh, this is me. Like kind of a little creepy, like found footagey, like not necessarily found footage, but like in that vein horror movie and then it just made me feel really sad about my own childhood i i think i liked skin and marine you like skin and marine i think i liked it better than you is that correct maybe what did you well i just i i heard somebody talk shit about skin and marine on a podcast a week or two ago and i was like ready to throw down i was like what are you talking about skin and marine's fucking great and i was like i didn't know i felt that strong about skin and marine i mean so the big thing is there's like the stuff at the end. That's the part that didn't really work for me. But the whole thing, really the big, I guess spoilers for Skinner Inc. But just the part where it's just like you were alone in a house. And so yeah. then like uh, there's like the voice that tells you to hurt yourself. That's just like, well, fuck. Now I just feel sad about when I was young. Yeah. Skinamarink is another movie that has actually scared me and also just made me fucking sad. Yeah. You know, skin and rings great. I was not expecting it to make me fucking sad. That's yeah. I think that's the biggest one. Yeah, I I think skin and rings fucking fantastic. I I really like skin and rings. Like one of the best movies of 2023. Probably the best movie released in 2023. I'll say, um, without doing any sort of review to back that up, because the the only. The only other movie I can think of that released this year is Across the Spider-Verse. And I like Skin and Rink better than Across the Spider-Verse because Skin and Rink has an ending, even if the ending sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like the ending better than you and M do. I think the ending's fine. I, it is overplayed, but I don't have any problem with it. Yeah. Like, what What are the movies from 2023 that I've seen? Wait, Skin and Rink wasn't even 2023? I think it, like... I think it was shown okay. at festivals in 2022, and that's why... Barbie, Across the Spider-Verse, and the Super Mario Brothers movie. Well, geez, what stiff competition you've got. I've seen the Super Mario Brothers movie so many fucking times. I was so charmed the half a time that I watched Super Mario Bros., and your toddler was telling me what was happening in Super Mario Bros. as it was happening. I'm like, oh, now Donkey Kong is going to punch the bad guy and 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 now peach is safe that was very amusing i watched that movie i watched 30 minutes of that movie one time and i was like oh what a silly little thing i can't imagine the torture you experienced watching that movie like eight times at least i mean at a certain point there's like a tuning out that happens but also my kid is is out of the stage right now where it's like if you're like watching a movie together if you are like looking at your phone they'll just immediately be like they're watch so the movie sen- they're so sensitive to it it was like my phone buzzed and i looked at my phone during into the spider verse and it's like listen i can check a text yeah. kid <laughs> um which also i'm like 
How are you watching your peripherals so much all the time that you know that is that I'm checking a text? Uh, um, I mean, I do enjoy that there are like times where they really want to just watch a movie with somebody, but yeah, it's nice when not... it's I really want to watch the movie with you. You need to pay attention to the movie. Also, the movie that it is, we're watching is the Super Mario Brothers movie, which you've already seen eight other times. I'm like, I got, I know this one. I thought it was fine the first time I saw it. I thought it was fine <laughs> the first time I saw it. Three and a half stars, says Neve Schoner. Um, and honestly, like, one, one and a half of those stars is just, my kid likes it, and it there's just a different effect when you like watch a movie for kids and there's just like yeah. a kid who's having fun. And you're just like, eh, yeah, I just can't hate it as much because yeah. it's like it's for them. <laughs> I failed repertory screenings recently because I told M I would send in some emails for it because they were asking for emails and then I failed. But I the, like they got a decent number, though. OK, the, the, the email I was going to send was, has there ever been a time where you were not so hot on a movie, but you were watching it with someone who liked it, and that made you like the movie better. Um, Which I feel like happens to me reasonably often. Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. I think that's it. Twitter, at autumnal underscore coffee. Co-host, at autumnal coffee. Um, I just avoided the whole underscore thing, and so I've been safe. I think autumnal coffee wasn't available on Twitter, maybe. Anyway. Nanahachi is real. Nanahachi is real.
white on white translucent black capes back on the rack Bella Lugos is dead The bats have left the bell tower The victims have been bled Red velvet lines The black box Bella Lugos is dead
stuff and what was that yesterday two days two ago. days ago two days we could scrap it i could pull out the parts where yeah yeah listeners we actually talk about stuff <laughs> listeners it is currently monday night um welcome to the non-homophobia zone it'll be in ornate stairwells later you'll have already heard that i guess time moves differently for us than for you as as you know cocktails oh. are being handed into us Cocktails. Don't mind if I do. Why do I get this one? I want this glass. I like this glass. Okay. I like that glass too. That's why I wanted it. Oh, fine. No, I don't care. I'm about to drink from this one. Okay. Looks like it has apple and uh anise. anise. Yeah. I say anise and it sounds too much like anus. It tastes very nice. You should we cheers or anything? I guess I already sipped. I also sipped. Um, I think this was the plan for, I think it's like apple cider and Aperol. Okay. It was the plan for like if there was cocktails during Thanksgiving, but I feel like everybody just had wine. Who wanted alcohol? Yeah. We didn't have that much. Yeah. So we um, <coughs> recorded like 30 minutes on Saturday and the vibe was just off for various reasons. We, we're not going to get into it really. Mental we, health. Mental health. We had a bad day, both of us. Uh and um so we recorded like 30 minutes and the vibe just wasn't there and so yeah if you want to excavate like the part where we actually talk about stuff yeah we can do that because we did like a little video game minute you could just extract the video game minute and put it here in the non-homophobia zone um what video games you've been playing we're doing this here not in the main episode I get, we could I do it in the main episode if you wanted, but I figured video games, that's not Yeah. That's not movies. Um, that's not cinema. Cinema. Why did I become Bob Dylan for a minute there? I don't know. <laughs> um I mean, I got Persona 5 Tactica. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm still in the early game. But I mean, it really feels like it has the like design ethos of those like there's like this like Gen- generation of game design that happened with like DS, 3DS, like PSP, and like Vita. Mm-hmm. Um, 
where it was like designed around like most Japanese people being able to commute to work by public transit Mm -hmm. in the way that's only true of like the U.S. if you live in a major, major city. Basically, only if you live in New York and Chicago slash don't own a car. You yeah, know? I mean, there's a few other cities where you could probably do this, but yeah. Um. So, uh, but it's like these the, broken up into these like bite-sized things, and sometimes it'll be like, uh, more like fifteen half hours. Sometimes it's like a little bit shorter, you know. Um, but it's like there's sort of like this basic little loop, mm-hmm. and you make like a little bit of story progress, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> but some of it is like. I can't. I can't tell how much too is like. Am I? Am I already just understanding the systems more than the game thinks I will, and the difficulty is going to ramp up? Because I still haven't gotten all of my characters back. Because mm-hmm. um, you'll do like it'll be like, oh, we're gonna go like rescue rage. Because at the very beginning, everybody gets like uh, charmed, basically. An enemy casts like charm on everybody, mm-hmm. except you and Morgana, and then you meet like the cool new character who's for this game. And then the three of you are going and you're like rescuing people. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, we're going to go try and find them. Um, and then there'll be like two or three little like tactical battles before you get to then that one. That's like the actual, you know, boss fight one, basically. And then you'll do that one. And then maybe there's like one more as you're getting away or maybe it ends with that. Right. Right. Um, and it it does seem like it's expecting it to be get, to be getting more difficult because it'll be like. At the very beginning, it was like, all right, in order to get, like, the bonus, uh, achieve, like, uh, not achievements, but, like, bonus, uh, you get, like, extra rewards and right, stuff. Right, right. You have to, like, make sure nobody gets a KO mm-hmm. and, uh, beat this level in under three turns and, like, do, like, you know, one other thing. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay, you know, mm-hmm. three turns, this is, like, early tutorial stuff. Um, but now it's like, you have to like, you know, it's not even like nobody KOs, right? Like it's even allowing for KOs and I still haven't had anybody get like a KO. Mm. Um, and then I'll be like, and you have to beat it in under like eight turns. And then I still beat it in like two or three because the, the like all out attack mechanic in this one Uh is if you down an enemy. So if an enemy is in cover. You have to like knock it out of cover and then shoot it outside of cover to uh-huh. down it. If it's out of cover, you're gonna shoot it right away. But most enemies will be in cover, except there's this one type of enemy that, that has you, a shield. Well, basically, it'll be out of cover and you'll shoot it, and instead of it getting knocked down, it will like do this like lunge forward attack. So if you're in the way, oh. it will like hit you. Okay. Um, and then it will be like a you know able to be downed as well. Uh-huh. Uh, but it doesn't need to be in cover. Um, but it still is like two hits. If you down an enemy and then you surround the enemy so that your three characters, if you draw a triangle between them, that enemy is in the, the, the triangles. Sure. Any other enemy in that triangle, whether they're in co- cover or not, will also take damage from the all out oh, attack. Okay. And so there's been multiple fights where it's like, you know, do do this in like seven or eight turns, like under seven or eight turns or something. But if and you I just very have... quick because the, the maps so far have not been big. 
So I just focus on getting people, like, spread out, going all around. Yeah. And then I focus on, like, having, like, okay, what's one character that I think can, like, get... Like, I'll have one that will knock it out. Yeah. And at this point, I have moves that make it easier to knock them out of cover without having to, like, go do do a melee attack. Right. Um, or I'll just make sure that I'm doing the melee attack to the one enemy that's, like, really close. Right. But there's, like, some that have, like, a magic spell, so you, like, you know, it consumes SP, but you get it back at the start of every battle. So I'll just cast the spell that will knock it back, um, and then that'll be that character's turn, and then the other character will shoot it and get it down, and then when you get the one more because you knocked an enemy down, you get the, like, a lot oh, attack, and then yeah. I just hit all of the enemies. Yeah. And there's these ones where, like, in order to win the ones that are, like, the boss fights against, like, your your friends right now, you have to do damage to this, like, flag that's, like, maintaining the charm spell, basically. Okay. And it, it has a lot of HP, but if you just hit it with two all-out attacks, it's done. So it's like, you know, you have ten rounds to do this, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it in three. There's, like, right. one to get in place, and then two all-out all, all attacks. Yeah. It's, it's done. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Weird. Uh, It feels like weirdly easy right now, but I, I don't know if that's going to change. Mm-hmm. You know, it could still be in like, oh, you're building the whole party or whatever. Right. But it just feels like it, the, the rewards that they're setting mm. and the things that I have to meet, like do to meet those rewards feels like they're expecting me to not be just like doing one out, one all out attack on like most of the enemies all the time. Right. And that's just my strategy. <laughs> yeah. It seems like a pretty effective strategy because yeah. if you can just park one person at you know basically where you start the level and then send you know one person to the left and one person to the right then yeah you win and there's even ones where i'm like all right well like there's this one enemy that's out of range but it's one of the lungers that will like go forward so i'm gonna have this one attack it so it will lunge forward into the and triangle. then, and then I will knock that one down, and then it's also going to be in the whole triangle of everything that I want to hit or whatever. It's right. Weird. Um. So, yeah. Huh. Uh, there was like one early on where it was just like you just had to run away from like some of your friends. Um, and that one was like if you weren't like just trying to book it and also trying to like be smart about taking down because they also hadn't given you the all out attack yet. So I was like, oh, I can see where, like, the, the difficulty is. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they gave me the all-out attack, like, you surround them move, I was just like, it's fucking over. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> this game's easy now. So, um, but yeah, I've been playing that in part just because it's, like, since it has that, like, easy loop thing, it can be like, oh, I don't have a bunch of time tonight, but, like, I can do one battle in this yeah. before I get ready for bed. Yeah. So... Um, because I feel kind of bad. I haven't made a lot of progress in Final Fantasy VIII because you had it's a lot like, on your plate. Yeah, because you know, also had a whole Thanksgiving. I had to literally yeah. put a lot on people's plates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah, there's there hasn't been like a lot of time of me just sitting down <coughs> playing a, a a video game for an extended period of time. Yeah. Um, and Final Fantasy VIII is a game where it's like. You know, I mean, with, like, save states and stuff, I can technically, like... Stop whatever. Play ten minutes and drop drop it, but it's just... It's not built for that kind of loop. Yeah. So you feel so much more like you're just in the middle of something when you... Yeah. When you stop. Yeah. Um, and so then I had this period of time where I was like, oh, I could play a little bit. 
And instead, what I did is I just like uh, hyper fixated on getting a good CRT filter working. That doesn't sound like you. Um, that doesn't sound like something because I was just all. using like the CRT lots or whatever. That's like the yeah the sort of default one that exists, um, which I don't like as much as CRT Royale, which I don't have CRT Royale on the Steam Deck for whatever reason. Yeah, so I got C- uh, CRT Royale running. Yeah. Um, but then CRT Royale makes it a little bit too much like this is a pristine, nice, like, professional CRT. Uh, so what I added was this additional bloom filter that I can control a little bit, and it had this one setting in particular where it made, like, the contrast a little bit more intense. Mm. Where, like, the light is, like, blooming and then it's, like, a little bit darker mm-hmm. where it's not doing the bloom. Um, and I just fussed around with that until it felt a little bit more like the actual consumer TVs that I, I worked with. Cause it was, also, it was also just like messed with like blurring it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it, I like how that feels more like playing PlayStation games to me than yeah. just the CRT Royale. But yeah. Um, but it was also annoying because it's like, it seems like you can actually adjust some stuff. Now, because there's a recent update to Duck Station, that when you're on, like, your normal and playing the game side of things and you pull up the menu mm-hmm. from, like, within the game and you get, like, that little, like, overlay, it, like, sort of grays out the game a bit. Yeah. Um, And then there's, like, settings and stuff. F- originally, when I was trying to set stuff up, if you went in and tried to do anything with shaders, it just wouldn't work. Right. Now, it seems like if you have set- shaders set up, some settings you can change but at some points you might break it and then it will stop working mm-hmm. and then you can't change anything so in order to just really do it i tried to do it like all where i had the game running i literally just had the intro stuff for chrono cross because i've seen that game so much yeah so i just had that running and i had it like the menu pulled up on the desktop mode um, yeah that's how i like had a separate to. thing that's how yeah. i had to adjust it because um, i I did a little bit of fiddling with this. I basically just slid some sliders around on CRT lots um, recently when I was doing Resident Evil 2. Yeah. Um, which I should get back to because that game's way better than most of the other games I've been playing. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, like CRT Royale. Yeah. So I had to crack a cold one open. And... Yeah, that's fine. Um, a cold one. It's actually. Liquid death. Yeah, it's actually doing the thing that, you know, there's the three colors that are like blending and it's like replicating that. Yeah. Style. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, yeah. And there's like there's like moments where if you have like the, you know, the bright white text over something where you can even like see in the way that you'd sometimes get with a CRTV, the like bits of like red and green and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um. But I got that set up. I played a little bit more Final Fantasy VIII, but not as much as I yeah. would have wanted to. Um, I think that's like the main and continuing to, continuing to play Mystic Messenger. But yeah, it's now been announced. When I last talked about this, I I think I talked about it on like last episode. Yeah, you mentioned. And I don't your... know if it was like public that I was going to be on Novel Mondo. Yeah, but yeah, that's exciting. Um. We realized this week that uh, the strike ending does mean that we have to watch the Star Wars Holiday Special this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which you will be joining us for. Yeah. So. 
Um, this is part where I talked through the whole plan of like the day that I thought that we could do it, and then like the next day you were like, "So when do you think we could do the Star Wars?" <laughs> no, no, that's not how that happened. I think you were high when I talked through. I don't think I was high. I might have been. I might have been, <laughs> but more pertinent to it was you explained all this to me on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, while we were um, having eating, Thanksgiving, having Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh right, I remember we talked about that yesterday." Was part of your plan the holiday special? I wasn't like, "Oh, you didn't plan for this at all." I was like, "Jog my memory." The holiday special that was part of your plan. That's still yes? basically what I said. No, that is not <laughs> what you said at all. <laughs> you forgot what the plan was for the holiday special. I just <laughs> whatever. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> can't I'm... believe I'm gonna have to watch that Wookie Joi video. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> um, I played through all of Prince of Persia 2008, which is like kind of a bad game, but I did enjoy my like 12 hours with it. Yeah. Um, it's like. I don't know. It's frustrating because the platforming element of it is fun. And I thought that they did a lot. You know, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, classic game. Love that game. Sands of Time, um, the the problem with that game is the combat, like, uh, just rips you out of all the fun parts of the game. And Prince of Persia 2008 really does its best to not make the same mistakes as Sands of Time. It's like, okay, we're going to make the combat way less frustrating. We're going to focus on the platforming more. Um, But it still doesn't quite do those things the way you want them to. Because it's like, there's like kind of three things you're doing in that game. One, you're going into like evil areas where there's the corruption and you have to do little platforming challenges and then you do a duel with the boss which is like it was cool by the end of the game once i knew what i was doing but it doesn't explain the combat very well and also it's not that good um and then you purify it and then as you run around the um purified areas um you can collect orbs and that's like kind of the most fun part of the game because then there's no combat. You're just exploring and collecting orbs. Right. But it kind of just has you go like, you'll have to do like three loops through the same area to get all the orbs in that area. And then like three quarters of the way through the game, you realize you don't even need all the orbs. You don't need anywhere near all the orbs. Cause if you get like, there's like 50 orbs in all the areas, and if you get 500, you unlock all the things that are in the game. And there's like way more orbs than there are um, than what you need. So it's just like, it feels kind of pointless, and it feels kind of like, uh, you you almost had something here. And it's also just weirdly structured, where it's like a kind of like Metroidvania style to it that I kind of just wish it was like a Sands of Time where I was just going through the areas linearly. Because the other thing about it is, because you can kind of go to the areas in any order, Yeah. 
they can't make them progressively more difficult, you know. And they just scale the level of the enemies based on your level. No, they don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> they figured it out for Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> um. So yeah, I it's it's probably I probably like it better than Sands of Time. Um, honestly, but I have more affection for Sands of Time, maybe. Sands of Time I played when I was young, and so its flaws kind of don't bother me in the same way that the flaws of this game bother me. Even though it's it it's they're pretty similar games, honestly. I should check out um the Forgotten Sands. I know M is really into that game, and M has described it as like Sands of Time challenge levels, which is maybe more of what I'm looking for than um what this game was. So, um, I've never played a Prince of Persia game. You're not missing out on that much, to be honest with you. I like the Prince of Persia games a lot. Um, Other than, like, maybe a little bit of, like, one of the really early ones. Like, the early 2D. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the Prince of Persia games a lot, but I don't think you're missing out on much. Um, and then the other thing, uh, the other two things I've been playing a little bit of have been um, Sonic Adventure 2. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, mm-hmm. rolling around at the speed of sound, got nowhere to go, got to follow my rainbow. Yeah. Um, that game's great. Uh, the physics are a little more frustrating than I remember them being, and I might see if I can, uh, in, I was like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to be a purist. There's all of these mods to fix everything, and I'm just, I'm going to, I installed one mod that makes it look a little more like the Dreamcast version than the GameCube version. And I installed some mods to give everybody cute little Christmas sweaters. And I was like, I'm just going to be a purist about it. I'm not I'm not installing all these other mods. And then I like got into the game and I'm like, who? Let me look at those physics mods again. <laughs> Let me see if there's a little way that we can make this, a li- this flow a little better. Because... Um, Turns out that playing Sonic Adventure 2 is not quite as fun as remembering Sonic Adventure 2. <laughs> well, I see had to get Burger Man in there. Yeah, I gotta go get Burger Man in there. <laughs> um, and then the other game I've been playing is um, Sonic Frontiers, which I picked up on the Steam sale yesterday. Which I kind of had low expectations for because lots of people I follow on YouTube fucking hate this game. I really, 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 really like Sonic Frontiers. I think this game's fucking rad. Um, I think they turned uh, Sonic into Breath of the Wild, and I think that was a great idea. <laughs> and I hope they make another game like this. Uh, my impression from Evan Jackson is that maybe um, as this game goes on, it's going to disappoint me a little bit, because it. M- my impression is that this game is going to last a little too long for having not that many ideas. But I'm only like I don't know two hours in. I'm having a I'm having a really good time, just kind of exploring the open world, fucking around. The levels, like the actual levels, I I need them to play a little bit more like Sonic Generations than they do. They're like because it's like Sonic has to have the open world mechanics, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a bunch of times in the levels themselves. Where, like, Sonic is, like, jumping, like, way off into the ether, into the unknown, because it's like, oh, 
that was like in the open world you would want him to turn there but in the level i want him to just like slide to the right like he would in generations you know um which yeah. there is a slide to the right button but i'm not I, don't, I haven't integrated that into so how I'm playing. So I left. <laughs> I need to just be using that button more often, I think. this time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think Sonic Frontiers is really cool. Um, Cha-cha, real smooth. <laughs> and that game I don't have to mod to put Sonic into a little Christmas sweater. I was playing that game with your toddler today, and I meant to be go into the menu when they got there and be like... Look at look! I could put a little Christmas hat on Sonic. <laughs> yeah. Um. You can also put some Monster Hunter stuff on there, but I don't. I don't care about that. Yeah, I just never played it. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think that's it for video game minute. Yeah, I mean the other thing is, uh, <clears throat> although Emily's been playing more of it, um, Emily started introducing our toddler. I guess not a toddler anymore. Firmly out of toddler age. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah. I meant to ask about this. Um, just a little kid now. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it was, was showing our kid Katamari. Oh, so. yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. But, you know how Katamari is actually, like, a hard game? Yeah. 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 So there's a lot more showing Katamari. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I was enjoying playing Sonic Frontiers with your kid because it was just a chance to be like, all right, that stick turns the camera around and like they're still kind of struggling with that. So I can't imagine Katamari is easy. Yeah, um, there is like a simplified control that accidentally got turned on on one of them. Um, It's fucking weird. I'm sure it'd be easier for my kid because it's like. You use one thumbstick basically to like uh-huh. actually move the the ball around, but that's not Katamari. Yeah, but it's like I don't even want to entertain doing that to make it easier because it's like this is an abomination. Well, this and it's is not, not Katamari. It's also like one of those things where it's like, oh, your kid's gonna learn that, and then it is not going to want to play the proper controls. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's an abomination. Um. So, oh, can I talk to you? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, my I tr- my my thought trailed <laughs> off for a minute. Coffee and comic books next week. Yeah, we've got um, a guest coming on, and I've been reading a lot of comics, and so I didn't want to like overindulge when we have a guest, especially it's someone who I don't know personally at all. This will be my first time talking to this person, really. Yeah. Um. And so it's like, do I want to talk to Nia about all this X-Men I've been reading? Maybe. Do I want to talk to Nia about all this Yu Yu Hakusho I've been reading? No, she doesn't care. I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, what I've been reading that you would be interested in hearing about, but you're making a face at me like you know. You read two volumes of Nana, but you should talk about that in Coffee and Comic Books. Because people here already know about Nana and that they should be listening to Ghost Divers. I mean, you can. I I mentioned on Coffee and Comic Books that I don't want to talk about Nana because you're doing it on Divey. <laughs> <laughs> the Fox thinks everybody should be paying attention to Nana and to her at all times. The latest episode went out and no one's retweeted it. It's fucked up. It is. Um, no, it went out on Black Friday, but still. You should be listening to our, our Nana podcast and not 
going shopping and terrifying like people who have to work retail yeah. during the holidays. Yeah. I did buy an SSD for the Steam Deck on the holiday sale. I feel like the warehouse stuff still probably absolutely sucks. But I still feel like the cyber stuff is probably better than having horrific customers coming in, like, running around trying to shop for sales. Yeah. I just feel like there's a there's a level of, like, cruelty that people shopping in person for sales have. Yeah. During yeah. Black Friday. Yeah. That uh, warehouses probably still suck, but. Probably. But it's just like it's a fucking busy day. Yeah. It's not like someone's, like, shoving people into the aisles because they want to get, like, the last toaster or whatever. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, fucking weird holiday we have. Weird holiday. Um, what was I going to say? Here's what I'm thinking. So that you don't have to get this up for Tuesday morning, because normally stairwells is a Tuesday thing. Yeah. When I get home tonight... I'll stay up a little extra. I'll edit Coffee and Comic Books. Coffee and Comic Books will be our Tuesday podcast this week, and then we can make Stairwells a Wednesday podcast this week. But Pouton's also a Wednesday podcast. Uh, Everybody listens to Pouton. It's true, but Pouton's only 30 minutes. Stairwells is going to be eight hours. No. (laughs) (laughs) I have to sleep. (laughs) Me too. Um... I'm just saying that that is an option, is we can just scooch scooch these two down. Because I was, I was meant to do um, stairwells from, not stairwells, coffee and comic books for Monday. Um, and then I made dinner instead of editing, and when I finished making dinner, I was like, I don't have the energy to edit this. <laughs> Maybe if I didn't have, I had to go into the office this morning. And if I hadn't had like an in-office morning today, maybe I could have edited last Sunday night. Yeah, yesterday night. Mm-hmm. But I just, I kind of was like, I'm going to have to eat dinner. And then I'm going to have to like, you know, yeah. set out my clothes for the next day. The difference between me driving in one day a week to me driving in two days a week is... I mean, it is literally double, but, like, mm-hmm. you don't think about it quite that way. I'm just like, man, this is another fucking night that's, like, kind of fucked it now. I mean, I can still do stuff, but I have to go to bed, like, early enough. Yeah. That. Well, and, like, for my first month of this job, I was in office every day. And so it was, like, fine because I knew the routine. And I knew when I could push my limits. And now that it's in office a lot less frequently, um, like, I'm, like... Oh man, these in office days, what a burden. Even though my boss lets me come in an hour later and my boss has been letting me drive home on my lunch break, which has been really nice. That's been the actually yeah. like honestly, if my schedule was 9 to 1 in office, 2 to 5 at home every day, I wouldn't complain about that too much, you yeah. know. Um but I'm supposed to work from 8 to 5. So you know, not having to drive in to be there at eight will be nice once I'm, you know, he, he's like taking a really long time to like get us into working our regular schedule, which I think is like the weirdest thing. Yeah. Like the part that's nice about it is that it's like, oh, you're like starting, a, you know, an hour later or whatever. But it is just like 
Because, like, also, you don't have, like, a... It feels like you don't have a regular schedule of when you are and aren't in office. And it's, yeah. like, at least with me, I know it's just Monday and Wednesday, and there's just, like, a regularity there. Like, like I know this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm at home. Thursday, in office, drive home on my lunch break. We haven't even made a decision as far out as Friday. Yeah. And, like, last week, he's like, hey, once we start working the regular schedule, I'm going to have you start taking your lunches from 1130 to 1230. Is that cool? And I was like, sounds great, boss. But there's never been a, a mention of when I'm going to start working that regular schedule. <laughs> Which, to be fair, he's, like, a very busy person. Because um, he's, like, our manager and also, like, has responsibilities to, like, seven other teams, apparently. So, yeah. like, I don't... I'm not upset with him about it. I'm just, like... It's far enough into this that I'm, like... It's weird how irregular this is, given that, like... The other people who are who've been on the team a lot longer... Just have a set-in-stone schedule. So they just do the same thing every day, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and I think um... it's... Sorry. I think the other thing is weird is because... When he hired he he hired me and three other people at the same time. Me and one other person are full time, and the other two people are part time. And those two part time people are supposed to be working eleven to three, but now they've been working from nine to one for like seven weeks now. And I don't even know like, do they want to start working eleven to three or do they like nine to one? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because if I got used to nine to one, I would just you know want to work that eleven to three seems like such a weird schedule. Yeah, I feel like not like my current job, I, I start at seven and a lot of that is because like I either want to get home by like five mm. to like still have dinner and stuff when I drive in or when I'm at home. It's like that's when I like I get off at like three. Well, I do pick up at three thirty. Technically, I get off at three forty five and I like work a little bit more. But it's like I'm doing that so that like afternoons that I have with my kid. Right. Um, and then Emily is like usually doing more of the morning stuff with my kid. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, there's a part of me that's like, I don't know when my kid's like older, like goes off to school, mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, undergrad off to uni. Um, then it'll be like, maybe I'll just do the like eight o'clock time again. Mm -hmm. Cause just waking up early is not great. But, like, that nine, like, nine, if you start work at nine. It feels so late. That's just, it's, yeah. Because I'm still waking up at six, partly because that's, like, convenient, partly because I know that sooner or later I need to start working at eight. Uh, like, there's just a number of reasons I, I've been waking up at six every day. And so, like, on the in-office days, there's been a lot of days where I've gone in to the office at eight, not because I'm, like, this go get her i want to be working the eight to five thing like whatever i don't care i've been going into eight because i'm like well fuck i'm ready to go to work what am i gonna do for the next <laughs> and if because... i wait longer traffic gets worse right because if if i leave now it's a 30 minute drive if yeah. i wait 30 minutes it's an hour long drive so i might as well leave now <laughs> yeah but it's like for me like nine o'clock is like all right that's like a, you have like, you can have a morning, mm -hmm. you know, where you like, cause when I, especially when I have to drive into the office, I wake up at five 
and I have like an hour where I'm getting ready because I still like to give myself some time, but it's like, yeah, I just don't want to like have to cram a bunch of like cram eating food. I want to like sit and eat the food while I watch and roast the stream mm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like an hour in there and that's like for like getting dressed, like making my coffee to go, all that stuff. Um, if I worked at like a nine o'clock, you know, there'd be like space in there. I'd probably like you still get to work earlier, but then maybe I'd have breakfast at work. I know lots of people who do that mm-hmm. at my job. Um, I could theoretically do that and sleep in a little bit more or something, but anyway, um, but like nine o'clock just feels like, okay, you can have a little bit of a morning. Maybe like you read a little or you do something in the morning, like right before you go to work, but it's like still like early enough in the morning that it's like, you kind of had like, how, how short do you want your like morning routine breakfast stuff to be Mm -hmm. is really the question. Right. Once you get past 9 a.m. as a starting time, it's like, well, now this is just fucking up my day. Yeah. Because now I have this weird period of time before work. And now I have this, like, other, you know, like, I don't have enough time after work to really do what I want. There was a year. I guess if you're doing a half day, it's a little bit better, but still. There was a year at Starbucks where I was working, like, 12 to 8, which kind of sucked ass because it was, like, late enough in the morning but I really couldn't do all that much before work, but also like most like places to eat, let's say, were closed by the time I got off work, you know? And so it was like I don't know. <laughs> I I feel Man. a little nostalgia about that time with Starbucks because that was when my store was shut down and so now I'm like, oh, the halcyon days of when I could walk to work and I wasn't in a drive through store. But, like, I don't know. That kind of sucked ass for a lot of reasons. Yeah. The one thing is it made stairwells very easy because I was getting off work right around the time your kid was getting to bed. Yeah. Um. The The one... When I worked at Starbucks, I always just liked closing shifts, which were, was not great for stairwells. Mm-hmm. We were doing closing, but... Well, it, it was good for stairwells when I was at the cafe store that closed nice and early. And it yeah. was bad for stairwells once I was at the drive through store that closed at nine. Yeah. You know? But, like, the, the but Starbucks the, the that opening, I worked at... The opening shift, once I switched to the opening shift, was just as bad for stairwells in another Yeah, because you just had to go to bed early. So yeah. that also was... Yeah. Or but, even on days where I wasn't working, I was fucking sleepy. Yeah. You know? Anyway. Um... But I liked closing shift at, at Starbucks in part because it was like you had like a morning, right? Like I could wake up. I could sleep in a little bit if I wanted to or I needed to. I could do some stuff. Before work, I would have time that if I needed to like run some errand, I could probably do it before I went to the closing shift. You know, like I had a morning to do stuff. And then I would do the closing shift. And one, a lot of it was, was cleaning, which I... I don't mind doing the like cleaning and everything right. to get stuff ready for the next day. And then also it's like we got customers, but you don't get like morning customers where there's just like a, a big line forming, you know, there's a big line and there's pressure on you. Yeah. There's never like making drinks. There's never a ton of pressure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, You still wanted to do it like fairly quickly because you had to like do all the cleaning and stuff too. But like, I always felt like when I was making a drink, I knew the person waiting for the drink. There there was... All right. 
the number of people did not exceed the level at which I could just look at the cup and look at like the people there and just know instantly which of those people waiting was it, you know, cause it might be like three or four people, but even then it's still like, they still kind of generally form mm-hmm. in the line that they ordered when it's like that few too. Um, Oh, can I tell you a quick funny story about my work today? Yeah. Um, somebody at work, called me and she was like oh we spoke last week about such and such and i was like oh right your name was your name was nia and you were calling because uh m needed to get paid or whatever and they're like how did you remember that there was a whole holiday and i was like oh i worked at starbucks for five years i'm good at remembering names and she's like no that's weird how did you remember that and i'm like I I just remember names. I don't know. <laughs> and then our conversation just continued from that point. But she was yeah. like flabbergasted by the concept that I would just remember two names from somebody I'd spoken to last week. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, I had one one update. I figure mm-hmm. there's that part where we're like kind of talking about what are we going to do with the recording last time, and we'll like insert. Yeah, the stuff that we clip out in there. So now this is all after it. Okay. So I have like one additional update on uh, gaming, which is that last night I played a little bit more Final Fantasy VIII, um, uh-huh. and I did the the like tomb thing. Oh, where you fight like sacred, and then like the brothers like right, sacred right, and Minotaur, right, right. and Minotaur is all like tiny, but it's a stronger one. Yeah, yeah. That's I remembered that very fondly, even though I'm pretty sure that while I was playing it, I was like, this is such fucking horse shit. I'm so fucking lost in this fucking maze. Fuck this. Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> oh, I mean, so there's that, that like, picture of, like, the maze. Uh-huh. Do you know the secret for getting through a maze? No. You just put your hand on a wall and you just keep walking. With your hand on the wall. Okay. You'll go through... If there's one path, you'll go through the entire one, but also when you look at the map, you go through the entire perimeter. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm just going to do this to like do the perimeter, and then I'll figure it out from there. And if you just do the entire perimeter for that like level, you hit all the rooms that you have to hit that you can then just go in the middle and get the brothers. Okay. So. Yeah, I think I got lost in there somehow, but also yeah. I was much worse at video games, you know three years yeah. ago or whatever it was. That's the, if you're ever in a maze and you you need to get out of the maze, it won't necessarily be the most efficient route, but just put your hand on a wall and just keep walking. Did you ever do corn mazes up in Michigan? Yeah. We we loved us a corn maze in Kansas, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Um we the the I was I was in the school's orchestra from I was a violin player from fourth grade to, I think I quit in ninth grade, but I still kept going to the corn maze with the other string kids until um, the end of high school, because we just fucking loved corn mazes. Yeah. I Um, feel like corn mazes in Michigan are a part of the broader thing that is apple orchards. I feel yeah. like that's a more specific. Yeah. It's a little bit Wisconsin as well, but especially Michigan. Michigan is weird because of all the lakes around it mm-hmm. have like one Lake Superior is like there's so much fresh water, like so much of the fresh water that exists in the world is in Lake Superior. And huh. so 
it's just so big and there's so much fucking water in there that it creates its own, both its own climate and weather. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, like, when I was going to school up in uh, Northern Michigan University, it would just be like, I would have friends who are like in Chicago or like, you know, Milwaukee. And they'd be like, oh, it's like 90 degrees today. And I'd be like, it's fucking blizzarding for two days in a row. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it, like literally there's so much water there that it, it just has its own. It's like going to be one of the least affected areas by climate change because it has literally created its own climate. That amount of water. But all the water that's around Michigan has also created these microclimates. Mm -hmm. And so there's like fruit that you normally associate as being something that might be grown in like the valleys of California when it comes to the US that can also be grown in Michigan huh. like grapes. There's like Interesting. wineries and stuff in Michigan because of that. Interesting. Because of that, there's also a lot of like apple, like fruit in general. Um, a lot of places will have like blueberry festival or strawberry festival or whatever, you know, depending on what's like really big in that area. Yeah. There's just a ton of apple orchards and apple orchard is the center of like, that's where you go and you get your pumpkins for carving pumpkins. That's like, you know, okay. there's the apple cider, you get apples and you go pick your own. Usually the best ones let you pick your own. Um, you know, you can get that apples as well, separate with like caramel apples, apple cider, um, Apple cider donuts. Like Love an apple cider donut. Love um, an apple cider donut. And then as part of that, there'll be like the corn maze or whatever. You yeah, th this is kind of a little, this is a little inverted of how, uh, of my experience. Because there definitely yeah, but were. It, I feel like Michigan doesn't have corn fields in the way that a lot of like, like there's still corn grown in Michigan, but the because of the microclimates, there's so much like, you can grow fruit on that land far easier mm -hmm. and probably like be able to sell that better than doing, um, you know, corn or whatever. Yeah. And, and but I mean, this is also the reason why Michigan in particular has a large migrant population, mm. which is because a lot of stuff like corn, there's easier ways to like automate, like just threshing the, the corn right, off and like right, getting that right. and then you process okay. it. Whereas fruit, it's very hard to automate picking fruit because especially like berries and stuff are so soft right. as well. So you just need humans to do it. And so there's just a lot of migrant workers who work in Michigan. That makes sense. But and that's why whenever someone's like, oh, you just can't get good Mexican food in Michigan. I'm like, you have gone to the wrong parts of Michigan. You're subtweeting <laughs> someone who does not listen yeah. to this podcast. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Or that person does listen to this podcast, in which case I'm very surprised, but not shocked, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I grew up eating, like, tamales. Mm -hmm. It was just... I mean, my mom was also a school teacher, so, like, the, the parents would, like, give a bunch of tamales. Whenever they make tamales, oh, they'd, like, give it to the teacher. That's yeah. cute. So, we, like, always had tamales in the freezer. Yeah, that's fun. But... Um, now I'm just thinking about apple cider donuts, to be honest with you. They're fucking good. They're fucking good. Especially if you get, like, the fresh-made ones at uh, Apple Orchard. Mm-hmm. That's the shit right there. I don't know that I've ever had such a donut. It's, like, nice and warm and, like, extra moist. I, um, it's been such a nice, like, 
Like, the turn toward winter the last week or so in Chicago has been so fucking nice. Because it's been, like, cold, but in the way that I like for it to be cold. Like, like yeah. all my coworkers are complaining. I'm like, yeah, it's fucking cold, but, like, it's a very pleasant cold, you mm-hmm. know? Um, oh, I love... The, the biggest thing for me with winter is I think we should just do the Yule thing for longer. Mm-hmm. Like... Just when it's cold and dark, for just a while, we should just have a bunch of lights hanging everywhere. Yes. And just, like, you know, the whole, everybody walking around with their mittens and hot cocoa and being like, oh, happy holidays. What's wrong with that? that. We should just do that for longer. I just, I made um a nice batch of abuelita last night. Got some cinnamon and some nutmeg and some cloves, and I was thinking to myself, like, why didn't I do this a week ago? I guess a week ago I didn't have a fridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause that's like, there's a part where I, I was talking to my therapist being like, oh, it's like finally getting cold out. And I'm like excited. And they're like, you're my only client that's excited for winter. And I'm like, it was great. <laughs> oh, um, I get to do this whole thing where I like get gifts for people that I care about. Fucking rules. Help me remember. Um, can I pull up my texts or, Okay. I have this nighttime mode on my app, on my phone, where I can't get into my texting app right now. Um, but help me remember tomorrow, the the company I work for offers, like, ten free um, therapy sessions, and I was in touch with those people last week, and I forgot to book with the person they offered. That person's in-person slots have filled up, so I could see that person virtually, or they gave me two other in-person options. So just... If you think of it tomorrow, remind me to um, look at that because you're the person who's better at remembering things of the two of us. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Because yeah, I want to start doing therapy again. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've been doing pretty good, but I feel like um, a thing. <clears throat> I feel like I sounded choked up there for a second, and it was more that like I was digesting cocktail. <laughs> um. I feel like I've been doing, like, decently mental health-wise, but I've been having a hard time, like, when I get into the hole, like, leaning on my, like, coping strategies for getting back out of the hole, you know? I feel like I've been, when I get into a bad state, I've been staying there for a little longer than I was when I was in therapy regularly. So, um, yeah. Um. Any, anything else for the non-homophobia zone? I don't have much. It's not oh, like we recorded that long ago. No, but also that was a weird. That was a weird sesh. Yeah. I mean, I still talk about video games and stuff. Yeah. Have I played any more video games since then? <sighs> no. Just Sonic so, Frontiers. Yeah. Your kiddo is enjoying Sonic Frontiers a lot. Um, I'm kind of trying to, I'm trying to put them in the driver's seat a little bit more because I'm like, sooner or later, I know you want me to fight the bad guys, but sooner or later, if you want to keep playing video games, you're going to be the one that fights the bad guys. And more importantly, sooner or later, you got to figure out this left stick to move, right stick to, to look around thing. And Sonic Frontiers is, like, such a low-stakes environment for them to be learning this that I'm just like, yeah. whatever, kid, you just, you play. Yeah. You know? 
Um, but yeah. Should we get into the podcast? Let's get into the podcast. I feel like I'm doing diabetes right now. <laughs> I always like ask that at the end. Yeah.